He steps forward to try to get a better look at these kids. When he does, they both raise their heads up and look at him. And that's when he realizes that their eyes are just solid black. They're not just asking to come in, they're asking you to invite them in. Mm. You know, they're saying, just just ask us in. Uh, just invite us in, it, it won't take long. Oh, God. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very creepy aspect to the whole thing. She comes back out, jumps in that SUV, closing the door, putting the key in the ignition and turning it as she's looking up in the rear view mirror and there's this kid with solid black eyes staring in the mirror at her. He is sitting in the middle of the backseat directly beside her son. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. This time around on the program, we have got an episode that is going to have you on the edge of your seat, my friends, as we examine a bizarre and chilling phenomenon which has emerged in the world of the paranormal over the last few years with our guest, David Weatherly, author of the book, The Black-Eyed Children. I won't even begin to try and explain to you how odd and weird this black-eyed kids phenomenon is. We have touched on it briefly in the past on the program with our good friend Jason Offit, but this time around we are going to delve in depth into the B-E-K enigma. Over the course of this lengthy conversation, we are going to discuss how the B-E-Ks first burst onto the scene of Esoterica, we will share with you a thumbnail look at what a black-eyed kid encounter entails. You'll learn some of the truly mind-bending aspects associated with the phenomenon, including strange smells, hypnotic effects, and potential psychic abilities demonstrated by these strange entities. Additionally, we will look at how BEKs compare and contrast with various other paranormal genres, including aliens, ghosts, demons, and men in black. Beyond that, David will also share a number of terrifying and troubling stories of BEK encounters, including a few where folks dared to invite the black-eyed kids, into their lives and faced dire consequences. Altogether, it is a comprehensive and compelling conversation which aims to pull the curtain back on the furtive and frightening black-eyed kids phenomenon with accomplished esoteric researcher David Weatherly. For those of you who are unfamiliar with David Weatherly, please allow me to provide you with a little background on him. David Weatherly is a paranormal investigator and author. For over 35 years, he has explored the world of the strange, investigating cases around the country and abroad. He has written and lectured on a diverse range of topics, including cryptozoology, ufology, and hauntings. David has also studied shamanic and magical traditions, 
with elders from numerous cultures, including Europe, Tibet, Native America, and Africa. He has appeared on numerous radio programs, including Darkness Radio, Project White Paper, Haunted South, and Paranormal Live. He is a writer for Intrepid Magazine and is the author of the book, The Black-Eyed Children. His website is www.2crowsparanormal.blogspot.com. Pretty simple, all one word, 2-T-W-O, crows, paranormal, dot blogspot, dot com. And you can pick up the black-eyed children at leprechaunpress.com. Check it out. And with all that said, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on February 19th, 2013. David Weatherly talking about the Black-Eyed Children on BOA Audio, Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio, Season 7. I'm going to warn you right now, we've got a creepy conversation for you coming up, and I cannot wait to dive on into this one. Our guest is David Weatherly. He's the author of the book, The Black-Eyed Children, and chances are, Folks who have heard of this or have been anticipating this conversation have already have a chill down their spine because this is definitely one of the creepiest topics in all of esoterica and uh, it sort of emerged from the ether in the last uh, decade or so and has been growing and growing and, and considerably weirdness uh, ever since. And this really is a tremendous book. It's outstanding. I read it yesterday and just devoured it because I've kind of kept the black-eyed kids at arm's length, uh, the advice of my friend Jason Offit, because the topic is just so weird and troubling. But finally sat down to read this book and just loved it and learned a lot about the black-eyed kids, and uh, I have a lot of questions about this enigma. So I'm very excited now to be having this conversation with David Weatherly. Welcome to the show, my friend. I cannot wait to dive into this topic. Tim, it's a real pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. The pleasure's all mine, my friend. Uh, this this book, as I said, is tremendous, and I cannot wait to uh, dig into it. It's scary stuff. I'm a little shaken up just thinking about it, and I have a lot, a lot of questions about this. Uh, but let's start out with the bio, the background. You know, who is David Weatherly? How did you get interested in the paranormal? I know you've been doing this for decades now, thirty plus years. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your evolution as a researcher and how you ended up on these uh, black-eyed kids. You know, as far as the paranormal goes, I got interested when I was a kid, and ironically, I grew up in a, a very rural area of North Carolina, though, so there wasn't really anyone around me who was interested in these topics. Uh, this is, you know, the 1970s, so you couldn't really talk to people about it. There weren't television shows. Right. And, you know, I always say that these things tend to find you if you're destined to be involved with them, and that's kind of what happened to me. I just started seeking out information, and, of course, you know, this is pre-Internet, so was able to find a couple of books that really intrigued me, like uh, Von Donneken's Chariots of the Gods and uh, some things associated with that. And then uh, this elderly couple moved in fairly close to us. Uh, I started going over and just visiting with the woman, and it turned out that she was a spiritualist. Uh, she was, yeah, I joke and say she was probably the only one in the eastern half of North Carolina at that time. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even know what spiritualism was at the time, so I got a real education on that. And she had a broad interest in all types of paranormal topics, you know, psychic phenomena, uh, UFOs, and so forth. 
So we would spend time speaking with her, and, you know, one day I went over to visit her, and she's reading Fate magazine. Now, I had never seen this before. This was a little digest-sized magazine that came out back then. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, she showed it to me, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was just really eye-opening because all of a sudden I realized that there were a lot of people out there interested in these topics, a lot of people investigating and writing. So... um it's funny because she, you know, she told me, oh, I'll make sure you come back and visit tomorrow. And the next day when I did, she presented me with this huge box, uh, you know, several years of Fate magazine. And she says, I, I don't need these anymore. Why don't you take them? Nice. And, yeah, I was mysteriously sick from school for a while right after that. <laughs> you know, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get out of my room. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just devoured this stuff, Tim. It, it was, uh, like I said, it was very eye-opening, you know. It um, introduced me to a lot of different types of phenomena and also introduced me to the concept of exploring this further. And from the time I was a teenager, that's what I just actively did. You know, I, I read absolutely everything I could get a hold of, uh, started doing investigations on my own. And, you know, back then you couldn't just walk to someone and ask them about ghost stories or, you know, Bigfoot or anything like that. They'd think you were nuts. Yeah. So it, it was a lot of work to be an investigator back then because you had to really kind of, you know, gain someone's confidence and find ways to introduce these things in a conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So so I never looked back from then. You know, I, I've investigated ever since then, and it's been about 35 years at this point, and I love every minute of it. Then how did this 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 research into the black-eyed kids come about? Because as I said, uh, you know, you predate the black-eyed kids as far as uh, being in the paranormal field. <laughs> this thing's just sort of sprouted up you know, towards uh, the start of the millennium, right around that, right? Has a popular meaning, yes, I do. But, um, I mean, we can get into some of the history of these things a little bit later. But essentially what happened <clears throat> with my introduction to these uh, beings was that I had heard some of the stories initially in the 90s when uh, the Internet was becoming very popular. People were, you know, setting up chat rooms and forums and things like that. Uh, a few stories started to circulate. The most well-known story probably related to the Black Eyed Kids is the story of Brian Bethel, a Texas journalist. And uh, he quote, he put his story on the Internet about an encounter with a pair of these kids. It kind of caught people's interest. It, it really sparked something. Other people started going on and saying, oh, oh my gosh, I've seen something like this, uh, sharing their stories. And... You know, being interested in all aspects of the paranormal, I, I had read these things and thought, wow, this is this is kind of weird and kind of creepy and different, but um, I didn't have any personal foundation to connect to it. You know, I didn't, uh, didn't know whether these things were just some kind of a new urban myth or whether there was something more to it. So I sort of filed it away in my brain and, and waited uh, to see what happened with it. Well, yeah. a few years later, I met this gentleman who uh, was the person that really was the impetus for exploring this further. Uh, this was a gentleman that I knew him for a little while. He was a martial artist, uh, a bodybuilder. He was a prison guard, kind of a John Wayne character. Mm -hmm. And uh, his name's Paul. Paul knew about my interest in the paranormal, and he was one of these characters that could not leave it alone. So, uh, yeah. I, 
I'd see him on a regular basis, and you know the type. Uh, it's always a comment. Did you, you know, did you, did you catch a flying saucer this week? Yeah, it's just busting balls, uh, right? Just busting your chops. Yeah, all the time, and, and always with kind of a grin, you know, and, and I was just near Bigfoot and this type of thing. But over the years, you learn that those people are often the ones that have something that nags at them on a personal level. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's what it was with this guy. Uh, he caught me one day having lunch, asked if he could join me. And this guy opened up about his story, uh, and it was just absolutely mind-boggling. He, you know, related his account, and um, it was uh, sort of typical of a lot of these encounters. Now, uh, I can give you Paul's story briefly. He came home from work one afternoon. He lived in a you know suburban neighborhood and was in the kitchen fixing himself something to eat. And he hears this knocking, and it, it's this long, continuous knock. No breaks between it at all. And this is very typical in these accounts. Like many of us would do, he kind of paused and was puzzled for a moment. You know, is that somebody at the door? Why aren't they using the doorbell? All the questions that any of us would ask. Right, right. He goes to the door. He opens the front door, and there's two kids standing there. Now, they're in fairly drab clothing, hoodies, sort of looking down at their shoes. And, you know, they say something to him uh, to the effect of, hey, we just thought we'd, you know, stop by for a visit. And, you know, Paul is, he's a real no BS guy. He's kind of like, uh, I think you guys have the wrong place. And the response is, is to the effect that, well, we'll just come in anyway. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, this guy's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, These are two 10-year-old kids. And at the same time, he's a little uneasy. There's, there's something's not right. So he tries to engage these kids. You know, he's running through all the, the standard things in his head thinking, uh, these kids are too old to be friends of my child. I've never seen these kids in the neighborhood. Because of his profession, he's, you know, he's got a real high level of awareness. So he pays attention to things. And he steps forward to try to get a better look at these kids. When he does, they both raise their heads up and look at him. And that's when he realizes that their eyes are just solid black. Now, let me clarify for people. We're not talking about just the pupil. We're talking about the entire square of the eye. It's all solid, shiny black. That kind of puts him over the edge. He steps back in his house, slams the door, stands against the door for a moment, strides across the room, and he's now pacing in his room realizing that he, he's absolutely frightened and he can't understand why. And then he hears it, this tapping noise. And he turns and looks at his front door, which is one of those front doors that's framed with the glass panels along the side. Staring in one of those panels is the face of one of these kids rapping on the window. So Paul kind of snaps. He goes from being absolutely frightened to being really angry. He darts into his bedroom, he grabs his firearm, which is on the nightstand, he comes back out, he flings the front door open, and there's nothing there. Now, you know, he told me in the moment that he, he grabbed his firearm because the only thing he could think of was that he wanted, he wanted to frighten those children the way they had scared him. Hmm. And now when he opens the door and there's nothing there, he's, he's got this whole other wave of fear that comes over him. Uh, he kind of 
hits his teeth though and, and runs outside. He checks the yard, the street, you know, everywhere, and there's no sign of these kids anywhere. So this account, you know, Paul uh, came to me because he wanted answers. He hadn't been able to explain it in any rational way. Um, he just wanted some level of understanding to, you know, know what he had encountered. And he, he honestly hoped that I could give him something that was, you know, well, this is, there's a rational explanation for this. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of answers for him at the time because this was my first uh, encounter with someone who had had a direct experience with these children. And it caused me to go back and review the older stories and also to begin to explore the phenomena a bit more, which uh, eventually resulted in the book. Wow, interesting. At that point, it's pretty amazing because these things go from stories on the Internet to an actual, you have an actual experience or, you know, in your midst. Now, how did you get all the stories to put together for the book? And, and, you know, give me a ballpark on how many of these stories you've actually heard. As far as uh, the accounts themselves, you know, now bear in mind, this was the early 2000s when I, I met and talked to Paul. So uh, there was no quick leap between, you know, investigating this and putting the book out. It took a long time, actually. Uh, you know, the first thing I did was to try to follow up on some of the Internet stories. And um, quite frankly, at the time, you know, there was uh, not much uh, chance of reaching any of those people. You know, some of the stories posted were anonymous. Uh, the ones that did have names associated with them, they just didn't respond to communication. Hmm. Uh, I, I have actually since talked to Brian Bethel, and uh, we can get to his story if you want to. But, um, you know, so it was sort of a dead end initially, and uh, it took a little bit of time. I sort of put the word out. You know, I was still investigating old school since the Internet was still kind of in its infancy in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, had been able to, to build a network over the years of people all over the the country and abroad, and uh, started putting the word out that, hey, you know, if you hear anything like this, if you meet anybody that's, that's encountered anything like this, you know, please let me know or have them get in touch with me. And, uh, you know, primarily a lot of it was word of mouth and, and just in my travels always asking and starting to come up with some stories. And then once the word started getting out, people would hear about me and say, oh, yeah, this guy is collecting, you know, those accounts, get in touch with him. So right, it took quite some time. Um, and it was funny because a few years ago, um, well, let's see, 20, 2010, the end of 2010, uh, I was asked to come on Darkness Radio with uh, uh, Dave Schrader and talk just about the Black Eyed Children. And at that point, I was writing a book that you know was encompassing several different things that the Black Eyed Kids included. But after that show, I was just inundated with people saying, uh, you know, relating their accounts and, and giving me their contact and saying, I, I've seen something like this. Uh, I, I realized that this was a phenomenon that really was growing at a pretty dramatic pace. It reminds me of the shadow people. Yeah, it sort of does. And there are similarities. You know, as you saw in the book, uh, it's very strange that these kids actually relate to a lot of different types of phenomena. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, shadow people came up almost at the same time. It's like... What is going on? Is the veil getting thinner, and now we're seeing more weird stuff? It's it's uh it's really odd. And what I liked about the book quite a bit too is uh I think I've heard maybe you know less than ten stories about the black eyed kids because like like I said I try to keep it kind of at arm's length. It's really creepy. <laughs> but having having read the book, uh, it really illuminated a whole bunch of stuff that I'd never even heard about with regards to this whole enigma. 
And I guess the big one, which I think we should talk about, is uh, these odors being reported following the Black Eyed Kid encounter, which is something mm-hmm. that I'd never heard about, but it apparently is a fairly prevalent trend, one that we can pretty much connect with this. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in the cases I've examined, which you asked me about that earlier, I, I don't even have a number currently to tell you the truth. I, I can tell you it's in the it's in the hundreds of cases that I've looked at. Um, very, you know, it's a, it's a very high number. Now, granted, you know, there are a portion of those that I determined were just uh, possible hoaxes or there wasn't enough information to really follow up or I couldn't interview the people and so forth. So a lot of those got discarded. But I'd say in the in the cases I've examined, maybe 30% of the cases this uh, odor comes up. Okay. And, you know, I, I've talked to some other researchers who say it comes up much more often when they hear these accounts. It's often, you know, described as uh, something rotting or decaying. Uh, occasionally people will say it smells like, you know, rotten eggs or rotten meat. Uh, it, it's purported to be an incredibly foul odor that will not go away uh, immediately. You know, there was a, a few cases where the people reported that after they had encountered these kids and, and were overwhelmed by this odor, that they couldn't get rid of it for days, that it would kind of linger on their clothing and, uh, you know, and in the area where these children had shown up. It's kind of curious because it's one of those things that, um, oddly enough, you can look at this phenomena and find a lot of pieces that relate to different types of, uh, you know, potential explanations. And, of course, with this odor, it's reminiscent of, you know, something demonic or, uh, you know, notoriously undead beings are purported to have this foul odor, you know, the stench of the grave and so forth. Hmm. Also Bigfoot. Oh, that's correct, yes. Which is, you know, I, I'm not making the leap <laughs> that, <laughs> that these are somehow connected to Bigfoot, but it's like uh, someone needs to look at the smell aspect of all this because maybe there's something there we haven't unlocked. Very possibly. And what I thought was interesting, you know, we the story you told, Paul's story, that's pretty much kind of the textbook uh, black-eyed kid encounter. You know, they show up at your house. Well, that, we're going to get to that in a minute. But they show up. They knock. They want to come in. They look kind of out of place. You don't notice the black eyes at first. The witnesses, they get kind of hazy in the mind, and they're not sure really what to do. And they feel almost like they're being compelled to let them in. And the kids keep asking to be let in. They, they're very evasive about what they're going to s- about any other answers. So the person will ask them, you know, other questions. Are your parents around? Are you lost? But it's always just let us in. And then it sort of culminates with, you know, this won't take long. And the, the person sees their eyes and kind of snaps out of whatever is going on in their mind and shuts the door and freaks out. That, that's pretty much your textbook, uh, Black Eyed Kid Encounter. Just catch folks up to speed, right? Pretty much. That's correct. Okay. And, and, uh, the part that I thought was interesting that I learned here from the book is I'd always, and I, I caught myself even just now when I was doing the textbook experience, uh, I'd always considered it something that just happens to people at their house. But these stories indicate that it's, you know, people are having these encounters at their cars. The kids are trying to get in the car. They're trying to get a ride um, at businesses. They're trying to get in, you know, the, the personal clothes of the store. And uh, the black-eyed kids are trying to get in after hours, uh, same, you know, same thing that happens. And even one guy in Louisiana in the book who's just walking home and the black-eyed kid shows up and just tries to get him to walk with him. 
That's correct. So it's it's interesting. It's just not just happening at homes. It's it's happening all over the place. Yeah, there's a wide variety of locations these things have shown up. You know, everywhere from uh, hotel rooms to uh, you know, there are a few accounts where they've shown up dockside trying to get on someone's boat. Oh God! So it it just seems you know that there's an opportunistic aspect to this that they take advantage of. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like when your guard's down, right? And, and you know, I think the whole crux of of this phenomenon is lies in the whole like let us in thing. That's clearly like the I don't know the keystone to the whole mystery is that they need some kind of invitation to do whatever they're going to do. That's correct. There are no accounts that I've ever heard of them barging in, you know, forcing themselves in. Uh, they always try to um, gain this invitation. So, you know, they're asking. They're, they're not just asking to come in. They're asking you to invite them in. Mm. You know, they're saying, just just ask us in. Uh, just invite us in. It, it won't take long. Oh, God. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very creepy aspect to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really weird. It is really weird. And, and you know, you make the point in the book that, I guess I it's, I think it's almost semantic in a way, but these aren't necessarily urban legends because we actually you've talked to people that have experienced this, so it's not just something that is from a friend of a friend that you never can quite pin down who actually had the encounter. You've talked to people that have had this happen to them. Absolutely, it's so weird. It's very chilling stuff. It's really <laughs> it is really odd. You know, it's it's funny too because one of the things I actually set out to do when I started researching this phenomena was I I wanted to, despite sitting down with Paul and hearing his account, I felt like I needed to determine a couple of things. One, uh, whether there were more valid accounts out there, and uh, two, you know, exactly how old was this phenomena? I wanted to make sure that there wasn't. Um, that it wasn't a strictly modern creation right. that had, had, you know, arisen somehow. So I actually spent a lot of time looking for stories that predated uh, the Internet and, and television. And, you know, I was able to find some accounts. And even since the book has come out, um, you know, I, I've moved on to a lot of other things, but obviously I have a lot of people contact me about these beans. And, uh, you know, the last few months I've been speaking with, a gentleman who's uh, a Native American who, you know, has told me that these uh, creatures have been here for a very long time, and his people have tribal legends mm. about these black-eyed children. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, some more of that will be will be coming out in the near future. Oh, I hope so. That sounds interesting, because it's, it's part of the oddness of this is, you know, we don't have accounts from like the 1800s or the 1950s or anything. I mean, there's this ghost stories that go back a long time and UFO events and Bigfoot events. But, you know, we don't really, as far as I know and as far as I think that you can tell, you know, we don't have accounts of this, these textbook black-eyed kid-type encounters happening uh, within... Well, I, you know, actually, Tim, there's an account in the book from 1950. Oh, okay, yes. I, I guess I mean in a prevalent way. Do you know what I right. mean? Is This isn't right. like something that we've heard over and over and over again throughout, you know, written history. No, but like you know what the fresh. issue is? The, the, the reason is is that um, people, uh, it kind of goes back to semantics again. Uh, the term black-eyed kid, uh, B-E-K is the acronym that's popular, yeah. or black-eyed children, 
those are modern creations. That's really what these things started being called with the advent of the Internet because, you know, people just wanted to attach some kind of a name to them. The way to find older accounts is to go back and look at things through the cultural lens of, you know, the people or the time period right, right. that you're investigating. And that's how I found a lot of the older stories because they would identify them in different terms. Um, you know, the story I referenced from 1950, they didn't, they didn't refer to that as a black eyed kid. Uh, you know, they, their belief was, uh, this young man had met the devil. You know, so it was an incarnation of evil. Now, these were very simple, you know, farming community folks, and that's how they looked at these kind of things. It's a very black and white viewpoint. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what they said, and that's how the story carried forward. Ah, okay. So there may be an underlying history to this that we haven't quite been able to unlock yet. Absolutely. I, I think so. I, you know, I spent time in, uh, China and found stories there. Now, you know, in, in Asia, they would refer to something like this as a hungry ghost. And that's how they would explain the appearance and, and its presence. Hmm. This is, see, this is the weirdness of it. Like you said, it touches on all these different, possible paranormal genres. And what I thought was interesting, too, in the book is that, you know, you get one witness is positive. It's it's an alien hybrid. Then later, another witness is absolutely positive. It's a ghost. Right. <laughs> and it's it's like, you, can't, you say, you know, with the UFO phenomenon, there's all these different possibilities. I always say, you know, it's probably all of the above. Part of me with these black-eyed kids feels like it's none of the above, that it's something, you know, wholly unique in a way that does share qualities with other paranormal things, but it seems pretty, you know, standalone. Yeah, it, it, it has so many bizarre aspects. And, you know, to tell you the truth, when I started exploring the phenomena, one of the things that intrigued me about it so much was the fact that, you know, you could look at these things and argue, okay, they're alien hybrids and, and this is, uh, here's the argument for that. Uh, or you could look at it and say, okay, there's some kind of, um, you know, there's some kind of a spirit. And, here are the arguments for that. So it, it it made it very intriguing and very puzzling all at the same time. Right, right. And I thought it was, I, you know, I've been I've been kind of skeptics lately on the show, but I thought the I thought the story in the book about your encounter with the skeptic who just kept, I mean, just kept reaching and reaching and making creating such an elaborate uh, <laughs> story behind what what is behind these black eyed kids that it was it got to the point where it was like, dude, you're the one who's off the rocker here. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, I mean, just to look at the skeptical point of view on this, it doesn't add up uh, that, that this would be some kind of prank or that, I mean, I guess prank is really the only uh, possibility if you're a skeptic, you know, that this, you know, oh, the people are mistaken somehow, that they don't see the black eyes of the kids and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't quite add up. Right. So, right. I, yeah, I think I covered that pretty thoroughly and I, I looked at logical explanations to explain you know these things, but you you can't really do it. It's it's just a it's, it's too much of a reach to try to place all of these encounters into some kind of a, a logical category. Exactly, exactly. It's like oh maybe the kids have like a genetic abnormality, and you looked at that in the book, and it's like if these kids had a genetic abnormality, they wouldn't really be running around knocking on doors and stuff. You know, right? They'd need medical attention. That's correct. So they wouldn't be able to just function running around out in the streets because their eyes would be all messed up. They'd need, you know, help. 
So that doesn't add up either. So it's it's a, it's a very this is a very flummoxing uh, topic. You know, after I put down the book, I like I said, I had more questions than I had uh, before I picked it up. <laughs> so it's very weird. What I liked about the book in particular, again, I really hadn't heard too many stories. And as I'm reading the book, I'm sort of trying to find outliers or abnormalities. Okay, you know, I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, what what have we not seen here from these reports that might tell us more about the phenomenon uh, than, you know, we may think. But then as I'm going along in the book, the outliers start cropping up and, and canceling out these ideas that I had. And I'm talking about, you know, I thought to myself, okay, these seem to be one-off incidents. Uh, well, then there's a story about a lady who kept seeing them, you know. And then I said uh, to myself, well, has anyone touched them? Yes, there's a lady in the book who was touched by one of them. So, it, it, it you know, there's all kinds of uh, incidents that happen that sort of break the mold a little bit of what we said earlier was the textbook experience. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because when I was researching and writing the book, the same thing sort of happened. You know, as, a, as an investigator, I always look for patterns. And, you know, I would start to look for patterns, and there really just weren't any. You know, there were no commonalities, for instance, amongst the victims for the most part. Uh, you know, this is just a wide range of of ethnic background, uh, religious belief, uh, you know, and and everything else in between. Right. And, you know, the same was true for, you know, looking at these accounts, just when you'd think that, okay, this is this is what these accounts are like, this is pretty much what always happens, then someone that something would come along that just sort of stepped outside that boundary. Hmm. And it would be completely different. Uh, yet the same, you know, uh, it, the encounter would go the same, but then something weird and additional would happen. So it, it's almost gives you the sense that they're, whatever these beings are, that they're constantly adjusting and, you know, changing things ever so slightly. Um, you know, some people have looked at these cases and said, you know, it, it, it gives you the sense that whatever these beings are, that they're, uh, experimenting or testing, you know, how far they can go and what they can get away with. Right, right. Now, refresh my memory. The woman who was touched by the black-eyed kid, was she okay in the long run? <clears throat> Obviously, her hand didn't fall off or anything crazy like that, but... No, it didn't. In the long run, she was okay, but, uh, you know, she had some very unfortunate things that happened to her. You know, she um, she became very ill. She suddenly lost her relationship. Um, <clears throat> and there, there are a few other cases where people have either been touched or they've reached out and touched one of these kids. And it seems like that type of contact uh, with these beings always causes some more difficult circumstances for the person who, who had the contact. Okay. So don't touch them, folks. No. <laughs> oh, my God. These things are creepy. Did you, you know, this is off the beaten path. I have other points here I want to return to, but... You mentioned in the book people are, like, terrified to talk about these things, and uh, they're afraid they're going to come back, and, and uh, they're afraid that, you know, if you even discuss the black-eyed kids, uh, they're going to kind of haunt you. And like I said, my friend Jason Offit was like, he doesn't even want to go near this stuff because he finds it too creepy and, and stuff. Have you had any sort of weird, um, you know, fallout from – because, I mean, you've probably devoted more time and energy to the black-eyed kids than anybody out there. So have you, have you, <laughs> yeah. have you, uh, you know, had any sort of weirdness befall you because of it? Well, you know, you're probably going to love this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but, um, I, I referenced it earlier when you and I were talking. Uh, 
here's how it started. A couple of months after the book came out, I received an email. And uh, it was from a woman who, you know, she started out, now don't think I'm crazy. Uh, when I see that in my inbox, you know, it's a 50-50. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, she was very rational. I, I spoke to her a number of times uh, since then. She wrote me because she had purchased the book. She started reading it, and her smoke alarm went off. So, you know, she got up and she cut the smoke alarm off. So, okay, it's odd, but she didn't think anything else about it. Well, the next time she sat down to read the book, the timer on her oven went off. And she didn't even recognize the sound at first because she never uses it. Right. Weird. So the third time, uh, the third incident was she was reading the book and her garage door opened itself. She put the book down. She went and wrote me this email, and she said, look, I'm really interested in this, but I don't want any encounters. <laughs> I just want to know if there's anything that indicates, you know, researching this too much or looking at it causes these things to come around, uh, or if there's electronic interference associated with these kids. And, you know, at the time it was kind of intriguing. There's, There had been a couple of incidents uh, that I had found while investigating of people who reported strange electronic things, sort of get into men in black territory there. But, uh, you know, I, I talked to her a few times on the phone. I said, well, you know, nobody else has really reported anything like this, but, you know, please, you know, just keep me posted if anything else arises. Well, as I started to do interviews uh, after this, since the book was out, you know, I had people start reporting weird electronic things happen, happening while we were conducting the interviews. Uh, and I was on Dreamland, Dreamland with Whitley Strieber, and... He was kind of blown away. He said, I've never had this happen in my studio, but it's going crazy. And, you know, his, his studio was doing things like recording my voice and not his, or, you know, it was flipping all around. Oh, weird. So, you know, these weird things started to, it, it seemed like they were associated with the black-eyed children. <clears throat> well, as it continued to unfold, other things started to happen. Now, I got a phone call one day on my cell phone. And it was from a friend of mine who's also a, a paranormal investigator. He's in Kentucky. And uh, I picked the phone up, and there's nothing there. It's just a lot of static. Set it aside, thought, okay, pocket dialed or whatever. Well, this continued to happen, and this started to happen several times a day, day after day. Oh, I'd God, get these right long crazy. messages on my phone that were just background noise. I'm listening to them one, one of them one day, it's like 15 minutes long, and I'm hearing his kid in the background. I think, okay, there's the answer. His kid's getting a hold of his cell phone dialing my number. So I sent him an email, and I said, hey, man. Quit calling <laughs> you know, me. <laughs> I think your kid's getting a hold of your phone and dialing my number. You know, So he, he looked at his phone. He said, yeah, it looks like that's happening. I, I apologize. It won't happen again. Of course it did. <clears throat> it continued to happen. And uh, suddenly he sends me an email. Uh, one day, right after one of these calls, and he's kind of freaking out. He's like, oh, my God. I'm laying on my bed reading your book. My cell phone was on the bed beside me. No one was touching it. Out of my peripheral vision, I saw it light up. It was dialing your number. Oh, God. So, <laughs> being a rational guy, he takes it to his cell phone, cell phone provider the next day, and he said, you know, my phone is dialing this guy over and over. It's the only person this phone is doing this, you know, over and over and over again. This is the only number it's doing it with. Can you fix it? Can you explain it? They had no answers for him. 
uh, it continued to happen periodically. It happened one final time. His phone was on the dash of his car. It lit up and dialed my number the day that he drove into Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Oh, weird. <laughs> Which I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Home of the Mothman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. This thing is just so... This is such a bizarre story. This whole thing is just so weird. The whole thing is, is you know, and it's just... As the pieces get added in, it becomes stranger and stranger. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's a good jumping-off point because... uh. One of the stories, again, like I, like you and I both were saying, you know, you look for trends and stuff, and then you find a story that kind of blows your mind here. And one of them was these, this guy's security guard. I think it was in Toronto or, or Canada, at least. Uh, security guard, night shift, place is closed. He's sitting there. He says he brings magazines to read at night uh, while he's working. The black-eyed kids show up at the door, and they're like, "We want to read your magazines." And there's like right. no way these, there's no way that, that, that these things should know that he had magazines in there unless they could somehow see in there with some kind of psychic ability of some kind, so. That's right, cause he sits behind one of those high security can, uh, counters. You know, they can just, just see over and, uh, this building is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's secured and they couldn't get in the front door. Um, they wouldn't leave the door and, and he, you know, went over there and had this conversation with them and, uh, you know, they're insisting to come in and read his magazines, and it just kind of, it, it, it greatly disturbed him. Now, that particular case, the, the foul odor did show up. And, uh, he's one of the people who said that, you know, he could not get rid of that smell. He, he kept washing his clothing over and over again, and it, it took, uh, took quite some time for it to go away. Weird. See, that's just, yeah. The, the, this thing is so odd. Now, one of the things uh, I, I laughed with you before we started the show, because right before we started talking, I came up with a, another question here, and that was this. Have Most of these stories, it seems like it's a sole person who sees the black-eyed kids. Have we, aside from the story of the kid in the backseat of the car, because I want you to tell that story uh, from the get-go, but aside from that whole incident, have we have you heard of any stories with multiple witnesses to the black-eyed kids? There are a few. Um, they seem to be the exception. You know, most of the time these kids approach uh, people that are alone or it, it's very odd. They'll approach, you know, often when the other, um, when other people are engaged somehow. You know, for instance, there was a, a case I received recently where they approached a hotel room. And, you know, they approached this hotel room and um, it just so happened that there was a couple staying there. But one of them had, had literally just gotten in the shower when these kids showed up at the front door. So, you know, only one person saw the kids. Most of the time, that's what seems to happen. Uh, there are a few accounts where a second person will be present in the household and see these kids or, or uh, have the experience. But, no, for the most part, it's a single person. Okay. All right. So we can kind of... Kind of corral that a little bit, maybe. Well, I think there's a reason for that. I think that's because the goal, I believe, of these beings is to create an intense level of fear in the victims. And the best way to do that, obviously, is when someone is by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because it would be different if it, were, if, it was, if it was two people and the thing came, you know. Right. It would be a whole different sort of reaction. Um, 
Now, I, I teased it here. Tell us the story because, as I said earlier, the keystone to this is the invitation. And uh, you have it, and of, of course, like I said, I'm reading the book, and it's always like, well, you know, the big question is what happens when you invite them in. And, uh, you know, you do have a story of a situation like that that did unfold. So, uh, you know, people love the story. So tell 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 the story here for folks uh you know, to uh, to when and then and then after they pick their jaw up off the floor. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, I saved that for late in the book uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to give away the the money shot here of the book, so feel free right. to you know give us the, the the thumbnail version of it. But uh, I think it's oh, obviously it's critical to the whole mystery. So yeah, it's it's okay. Uh, essentially, uh, the short version of the story is a, a woman driving home. She has her ten year old son in the back seat of her SUV. And she stops by a convenience store, parks right up front, jumps out, leaving her child in the vehicle. And, um, you know, some people might be critical of that, but this this woman has done this hundreds of times. She knows everybody in the neighborhood, you know. Exactly. Uh, 1970 uh, wouldn't be a big deal at all. It's a different right. era, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, she's uh, she's jumped out. She's run in to get a couple of items. And um only takes her a couple of minutes. She comes back out on autopilot like a lot of us would be. Jumps in that SUV, closing the door, putting the key in the ignition and turning it as she's looking up in the rear view mirror and there's this kid with solid black eyes staring in the mirror at her. He is sitting in the middle of the back seat directly beside her son. She has an automatic reaction of just intense fear jumps out of the SUV, yanks her son out of the back seat, runs back in the store. Fast forward a little bit, there's there's uh you know a little bit of an exchange with the clerk inside the store who who runs outside and, and sees nothing except for the SUV running with the doors open. Uh she is too shaken up to get back in that vehicle and calls her husband who is fairly close by. Does not tell him what has occurred. She gets him to switch vehicles. She takes his vehicle with her son, goes home. He gets in the SUV. A couple of miles away, he's in an accident and totals the vehicle. Now, the last thing he remembered, because he couldn't remember the accident, how it was caused or what happened, uh, he said that he remembered an incredibly foul odor inside the SUV that he couldn't understand what it was from or where it was coming from. The doctors kind of insisted that it, it must have been some kind of gas leak that caused him to pass out, but uh, he's insistent that it was that it did not smell like gas. Rather, it smelled like something rotting. So we hear that that same thing mm-hmm. again. Uh, the mother, <clears throat> the the father ends up in the hospital. He does not have any serious injuries. He's kept for observation. Uh, the mother, meanwhile, is talking to her child, trying to determine exactly what went on here, and she's asking the questions that any parent would. She's saying, uh, do you know that boy from school? And the response is, well, no, Mommy, I don't know him. And she says, well, why did he get in our car? And uh, the answer, which I think is kind of chilling, is uh, the son replies, well, I asked him to get in, Mommy. I thought we could go to my house and play. Weird. So... You know, as this all unfolded, what it, essentially what had happened was that this black-eyed child showed up at the SUV, um, got an invitation out of this other child um, under the pretext that, you know, they could go and, and 
you know, play. Right. And, uh, you know, this 10-year-old boy didn't see anything wrong with that, didn't know any better, obviously, and, and invited him in. So this child actually climbed over the 10-year-old uh, into the back of the SUV and was sitting directly beside him. So a lot of close contact went on here. The result was that while the husband was okay from the accident, their child became ill. And they, of course, took him to the doctors. The doctors uh, could not treat him because they couldn't lock down a diagnosis. Every time they thought they knew what was wrong with this boy, his symptoms would change somehow. So it, it became very extreme. You know, they thought at one point he had the flu, uh, something changed. They said, oh, no, he's got uh, appendicitis. We're going to have to operate. Then he, you know, he broke out in a rash, and they said, oh, no, he's got the measles. Uh, so this kept happening, and, and there was no way really to treat this child because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. The parents got kind of frustrated, and, and they were still frightened. So they just ended up taking the child home, calling friends and family, and constantly attending to this boy and focusing a lot of positive energy and prayer, and eventually he recovered. Um, now, since then, you know, he's, he's still in good health, but uh, both of the parents are just convinced that whatever they encountered uh, that day was just something completely evil that almost took the life of their child as far as they're concerned. Weird. So we have the we have the... The invitation accepted here at this point in this story. So it's, it's, gives you, cause one of the big things too about this is, I guess the, the, the part that makes it like super, uh, terrifying <laughs> is, is we have no accounts of anyone beyond this story of anyone inviting them in, which leads you to think, well, you invite them in, you're done. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of a disturbing question that hangs in the air. Uh, you know, I, I've only heard a, a small handful of stories that um, detail someone letting one of these kids into the home. And, um, you know, that was the, the one story that I was actually able to interview those people and really follow up and, and verify the, you know, yeah. the veracity of a lot of their claims. So, um you know, there's a couple of other accounts that are equally disturbing, but I just haven't been able to gather enough information on those to, to put them out there. Okay. So there are other accounts, but we don't know enough about them really. To... Yeah, but it's it's a very small number. Right. You know, and there's there's probably, you know, five that have been presented to me, including the one that's in the book. Okay. I'm tempted to ask you about those, but do you, you just don't think they're ready to, to flesh out, I guess you could say? Well, you know, there's, there's one... Um, I'm, I'm not convinced of a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that I am convinced uh, is a genuine. Uh, I, I can probably relate to you in, in brief uh, in brief fashion, and that's simply to uh, protect the person who brought it to me. Um, that's fine. This this will be a first, I believe. I don't I don't think I've talked about this before, but awesome. Uh, essentially, I had a gentleman who. Uh, excuse me, a woman who contacted me. And she told me that uh, she and her husband had gotten hooked on listening to uh, podcasts of this particular paranormal show, and they were going through listening to all the different episodes. Uh, her brother was staying with them, who was uh, a veteran of the um, Iraqi conflict. And 
he kind of razzed them. You know, he thought it was nonsense until the day that he came out of the kitchen and heard an episode about the Black Eyed Children that I had been interviewed on. Uh, he was just walked in as one of the accounts was being told and dropped his coffee, shattered on the floor. She said she had never seen her brother react that way. He, he left the room. Took her a while to get him to fess up, essentially, as to what had, you know, freaked him out so much. And eventually she was able to convince him to call me, and I, I've had a number of conversations with him. Uh, his story is that he encountered one of these kids in Iraq and that the soldiers that were with him who also encountered this child uh, out of all the people there, he was the only one that made it back from the conflict. Oh, God. Uh, so it's it's a very disturbing story. Obviously, I can't go into any more details um, about it at this point because he simply, you know, he didn't want... Right. Anything that would potentially reveal uh, his identity or, or the identity of these soldiers who were, you know, tragically killed in the conflict. Now, let me just ask this. I, I, we don't want to give out, you know, obviously you don't want to get too deep into this, but did their deaths result from the encounter with the black-eyed kid, or was it sort of like they had the encounter and then, you know, over the course of their, their term over there, these guys just dro- dropped, you know? Well, that's the real question, isn't it? I mean, he is convinced that, you know, this black-eyed child somehow cursed them. Hmm. Now, you know, we can argue this a lot of different ways and say, okay, well, this is this is some weird, you know, coincidence or synchronicity that occurred. Uh, you know, maybe he believes this because of the stress of what happened in the conflict because, you know, God knows those Soldiers have went through so much, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really hard to determine. I I don't really believe in coincidence. I, I believe in synchronicity. So you know, whether this child caused this to happen or whether he was just an omen of things to come, you know, because there are some cases that indicate that these things simply could turn up um, as an indicator that uh, unfortunate things are coming you know, coming soon. Right, right. Just, but I guess what I mean is, like, they didn't invite him into the barracks, and then all of a sudden, like, within an hour, all of them were lying on the floor dead or anything like that. No, 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 it took a, it took a little bit of time for this to unfold, and mm-hmm. it was, um, yeah, I won't reveal the location, but it was, it was not in a barracks, no. Okay, yeah, that was just a joke. <laughs> yeah, that was just, <laughs> I was just trying to Well, I just of, mean uh, it wasn't on base or anything. It was, it was a very, uh, it was a very close encounter with the child, though, is what I'll leave it at. Okay. Strange. Well, that's the frightening scenario here, where the only way we're going to learn more, more about these things is for some brave, uh, brave and maybe stupid person to in, actually in, invite them into their home or, or invite them in to play. So I don't I don't necessarily encourage it, but I'm also you know endorsed shooting Bigfoot before. So <laughs> you know we, we we need some crazy asshole to be like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> so if you're out there, whoever you are, good luck and um, r- write to us if uh, if you do it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I will not do it, and I I really kind of don't think anyone should. But you know maybe someone out there will, and if they do. Awesome. Let's find out what happens. I, I'm sure that somebody, given the opportunity, would. You know, I get emails all the time saying, you know, how how do I get them to come to my house and things. Oh God. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, I, I said earlier, I 
part of me sort of nixes a lot of these possibilities and, and, and embraces sort of a none of the above thing because, you know, it, they have elements of things in the paranormal, but then they don't sort of adhere to the overall milieu of that specific thing. Like, for instance, they sound kind of like Men in Black, but they don't behave like the Men in Black. No, but you know there are similarities. That's what which I mean. It's really odd. I mean, obviously they're not men, but uh, you know, here's a few of the the similarities with that. For instance, we have this whole electronic phenomena that seems to be associated with their appearance, uh, and that's very common in men in black accounts. There's also the fact that people um, almost always describe these kids as having very pale or pasty skin. Some people say the skin looks artificial. And, you know, here's something, and I don't remember if I put this in the book or not, but um, out of all the cases, you know, I always ask people a variety of questions. No one has ever noticed any kind of blemish on the skin of these kids. Now, we're talking about kids that average, you know, in the the preteen or teenage years. You would expect, you know, acne, pimples, freckles, something. Hmm. No one ever sees anything like that. Nothing. So, you know, it's kind of bizarre. Um, they seem to be a little bit confused by some modern things. You know, again, given the age of these kids, if they were, if they were normal kids, even if they were kids trying to, uh, perpetrate a hoax, you would expect to see, uh, iPods or cell phones or, you know, um, Something like that? No, no one's ever seen anything like that on any of these kids. You know, they've never seen one wearing a watch. Um, they never use a damn doorbell. And here's a great case that came to me recently. You know, this lady wrote, and her encounter was kind of typical, except for the beginning when she was home alone. She was very busy, very focused on doing something, and she said this knocking started. Uh, that you know, she she turned this infernal knocking. You know, it's just long, steady knock. And she got really angry for some reason. The result was that she went to the door, flung the door open. Before these kids could even say anything, she pointed at the doorbell and said, why don't you use the damn doorbell? (laughs) And she said the response was that they looked at the little lip button, they looked at her, and they looked back at the button, just back and forth, as if they had no idea what she was talking about. Weird. Did they then go right into their routine about they, trying? They went into their routine. Weird. That, you know, they just wanted to be invited in, and you know. <laughs> See, I feel like that would be my situation in a way. I feel like I'd fling the door open and be like, "Get the hell out of here! I don't care what you want." <laughs> you know, maybe I would put the put the scare into them first. So, <laughs> I'll fling the door open and hand them a fork and close the door. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and like you said, you know, they have the elements of of all the different stuff, but they don't quite fit into any of the categories. Like, just when you think it might be one thing, the, you know, with the men in black, they talk, they talk like, you know, obviously they're sort of stilted, but they, they have conversations. Like, these kids seem to have just one, like, like I said, routine that they go through. They don't quite open up like a man, like a man in black. Right. It's, it's not quite the same, although, you know, the speech is usually described as being very monotone. Um, they seem to have a limited number of phrases in any given encounter that they just sort of default back to and, and will repeat, you know, so they won't really respond to questions. You know, a lot of people typically will ask them, you know, 
are you hurt or where are your parents, you know, things like that. And, and instead of directly answering, they'll just, you know, they'll rebuttal with something they've already said, you know, well, just, you know, we won't take long, just ask us in and things like that. Oh, God. Imagine if it actually turns out it's a good thing. Like, we're going to get a call from somebody who's like, you know, I invited them in and actually they gave me three wishes. <laughs> like, a, like a Prince and the Pauper kind of thing going on that we don't actually know about yet. Yeah, see, I'd be suspicious of someone coming along and granting me three wishes. <laughs> that gets into gin territory. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they're like angels or something. They give you a bunch of gold or something. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to talk some listener into letting them in. That's all. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, now, we heard the story about the kid uh, in the backseat of the car who invited the uh the black-eyed kid, into the car. Have we heard any other stories about encounters between children and the black-eyed kids? Because you'd think that there there might be something interesting there. No, you know, that's pretty rare. Uh, there have only been a couple of cases where a child was present. That's the only one that has come my way where it was uh, a solitary child encountering a black-eyed child. Um, there have been another one or two cases where a single parent you know, their child may have been present in the house when one of these black-eyed kids showed up, but uh, I, I haven't seen anything else like that. Equally rare are encounters wherein an animal is present, uh, ah. a pet. Now, there is one that uh, it was actually, it showed up on my blog because it, it was a case that came to me after the book was already published, but... I think it's one of the it's one of the creepiest encounters I think. And what happened with this case was a man in the Dallas, Texas area. Uh he came home from the grocery store. He walked up to his front door and you know he had a couple of bags in his hands. He reached up and he opened the door and just as he was opening it, <clears throat> he suddenly realizes there's this kid standing on the ground by the steps. And, you know, it kind of startled him because obviously he didn't see this child when he walked up to the door. So it's as if this kid just appeared. And he turns and looks at this boy who says to him, is it food time? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, he, yeah, he, uh, you know, he, he was so just taken aback and startled that he, he said that he, couldn't really bring himself to respond. He's just kind of locked on, you know, staring at this kid. Um, he said he felt almost entranced, you know. Now, his front door has swung open. His home has solid wood floors. He has a long hallway that goes from the front door back to the living room. And he said that he, he heard his pit bull in the back of the house, barking, getting closer. So he sort of glances into the the door, and he sees that pit bull turn the corner in the living room, charging down the hallway towards the front door. Oh, boy. This dog made it almost to the front door when it suddenly put the brakes on. Now, you know, Tim, this is a whole Scooby-Doo thing. This dog, you know, <laughs> sliding on this wood floor, literally tumbled over itself onto the steps, jumped up as quick as it could with its head down, tail between its legs, whining, running back in the house. Uh, you know, this was enough for this guy. He, he 
<laughs> jumped in the door and slammed the door on this kid, went in to find that his pit bull, uh, three-year-old pit bull, was hiding under the bed in the master bedroom. Oh, boy, this isn't a poodle we're talking about either. This is a pit no, bull. This is, this is a pit bull that he raised from a pup to be a guard dog. He has witnessed this pit bull kill rattlesnakes, never seen it back down from anything, and all of a sudden it is terrified. Uh, he says that this dog has not been the same since that encounter. It's simply a different animal. Now, you know, this is a very intriguing encounter for a lot of reasons. You know, we don't, uh, we don't have many accounts, as I said, of uh, an animal being present when one of these things shows up. And, you know, we know that animals have a different level of sensitivity. So, you know, this dog, while it behaved uh, normally at first, when it got within range of that kid, uh, it, it completely changed its demeanor, and, and it has somehow altered this animal, it seems, permanently. Oh, God. This thing is so strange. Um, now, what about in the book you have uh, a story of a lady who had an encounter. She goes to a psychic. The psychic, um, obviously she doesn't tell the psychic about the encounter. The psychic comes upon the encounter through her psychicness, let's say. And I, you know, I'm pretty skeptical about psychics in general, but I feel like it's maybe an area that could be cultivated, I guess, just for some additional insights. Not necessarily that we're going to put all our stock on what some psychic says, but maybe we'll get some more thoughts. Have, have anyone reached out to you who's a psychic who claims to be having psychic abilities that have an idea of what these things are? Yeah, there's been a few, but um, none that have really um, wowed you. I, I don't feel like any of them have really, you know, hit on what's going on here. Okay. Uh, they, you know, I get a lot of communications like that, and they tend to be in in very general terms. You know, oh, they're they're spirits of evil, or you know, things like that. Well, <laughs> right. You know, I I don't. <laughs> they're not really demonstrating anything to me. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting because I tried to talk with that psychic who is mentioned in the book, and she didn't want anything to do with this topic at all. Um, she did, she just absolutely refused to even um, broach it with me. So, you know, it could be an interesting avenue to look at, uh, you know, a lot of other people researching these kids at this point, so maybe somebody will pursue that that avenue and bring us some additional information. It was it was very interesting in that particular account that you know this woman, as you said, she didn't tell her anything about this encounter, uh, but the psychic certainly picked up on it right away, and and you know she sent this woman along her way because she didn't want anywhere near this whatever this phenomena is. Right, right. Yeah, I just thought it might be interesting to see if uh. Like I said, I don't trust most of what they say, but you never know. Someone might have some insights, you know. You know. Um, now, one thing I, that stood out to me, and uh, you, you didn't get into the story in the book, but you tangentially mentioned it at the beginning. Um, you know, obviously, you talk about the skeptics, you talk about the people who uh, will be skeptical of this whole phenomenon and stuff, and they say, you know, well, where are the pictures? Where's the video? And you mentioned that there's some video of a, of one of these encounters, but it just shows the person talking to thin air. Um, tell me more about that, because it wasn't uh, fleshed out really in the book. Yeah, there's a couple of, uh, there's a few occasions wherein uh, there have been security cameras present mm. when the person had the encounter with these kids. And for the most part, um, you know, what always seems to happen is that there's a malfunction with the camera, or 
you know, there would just be a glitch in time. Uh, the cameras would be shut off. There's a whole wide variety of things. And, you know, that kind of goes back into the electronic interference again. You know, we don't know why that's happening. But, um, it, you know, it, it certainly adds to the enigma. And, you know, maybe eventually, I, you know, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the photographs anyway because right. it's so easy to digitally manipulate something like that in a couple of minutes. And, uh, you know, it's the old adage that a photograph's not going to convince a skeptic and, you know, a believer doesn't need one. Ah, I've never heard that before, but I like it. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of not as relevant. It becomes curious to me when these encounters unfold and something goes awry with technology that could potentially capture them. That I find very intriguing. What about the story in the book that you mentioned that, that the video shows the person talking to thin air? Yeah, there's a couple of those. You know, there was one that was captured uh, where this person supposedly encountered one of these kids in a uh, elevator and, you know, had this exchange. And when the security footage was examined, it's, it's just a person standing there seemingly talking to themselves. Odd. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> Uh, yet again, another part of the puzzle that, you know, sort of um, maybe points in some different directions, but we just don't know. Yeah, it's hard to really – this thing is so difficult to pin down that it's it's really mind-boggling. Um, you know, because that sounds like a ghostly type thing. Who knows? You know, it's weird. Right. It's so weird. Part of me feels like if I had to really sort of make a determination, I I, I feel like we're dealing with some kind of like – elemental being not necessarily like a fairy or 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 you know or a gnome or something like that but something within that species of <laughs> or family of of creatures some kind of elemental uh that's that's just my general sort of thinking as i as i read more about this yeah that's kind of in keeping with my personal view i you know as you probably noticed when i wrote the book i didn't push, push any particular agenda right I, you know, presented all these different cases and possibilities to explain what these things are, but I really wanted people to make up their own minds. And uh, it, it's funny, you know, when the book came out, I <laughs> I got a call almost immediately from someone who had read it, and they said, uh, I loved your book. You've convinced me they're alien hybrids. And, uh, you know, I got off the phone. I thought, oh, my God, I I, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't want to convince anybody of this. And, uh, you know, within a couple of days, I had another person contact me and say, I loved your book. You've convinced me they're demons. Uh, so <laughs> I brought a smile on my face. And I was like, okay, I, I did what I set out to do, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, my personal viewpoint on it is that, uh, it's kind of in keeping in what you're talking about. I, I believe that they are some type of uh, interdimensional being that is sort of uh, coming over into our level of existence, you know, with their own agenda. And um, that's in keeping with a lot of different, uh, you know, fairies and things. I almost hesitate to use that word because people have such a misconception of what fairies are. Right. But, that's uh, why I – yeah, same here. That's why I uh, – Yeah. Yeah. But, they're, you know, really – Really, if you go to uh, tribal cultures around the world, you'll find uh, this tradition is very common of these beings that used to live on our level of existence, and they left. You know, they went through a shimmering doorway or a portal or whatnot, 
and you know they still have the ability to come back over here if they choose to. Makes you wonder why they're coming in now. It's very weird. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think a lot of things are happening. I, I mean, we survived 2012 despite the media's hype that the world was <laughs> going to end. And, you know, uh, all along, you know, all these uh, various elders from around the world have said, no, it's not the end of the world. It's 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 a new cycle that we're beginning. And, you know, that's causing a lot of changes. It's causing people to uh, be more aware. It, it has caused the veil to thin a bit. You know, and, and even from a scientific viewpoint, we're exploring things now that um, are sort of opening us to new possibilities. You know, I, I briefly mentioned this idea of other dimensions. Native cultures have been talking about that for, you know, millennia. And now we've got scientists officially announcing, oh, we've determined there are other dimensions. We don't know where they are or how to get to them, but we know they're there. So, <laughs> you know, the more uh, quantum science digs into these things, the more interesting it's going to be as that new scientific viewpoint sort of collides with ancient uh, shamanic traditions. Hmm. Almost makes you wonder if we're opening a door we shouldn't be uh, opening in the first place. You know, well, I think it's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want some scientists somewhere to <laughs> make, this, <laughs> make this portal and uh, let all these things in. But No, we don't want it under government control either. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> They'll slap a toll on that thing. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, this is it's it's weird. It 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 definitely feels like also this. Uh, you know, we talked about how this thing probably has some more historical roots than we think, but it it definitely feels like this is a sort of a a modern phenomenon in a way. As far as sort of it's it's been fueled by the internet, like I said, like kind of like the shadow people thing. Right. In a way, it's kind of like an interesting dynamic where it's like the internet not only has made all this communication better but now we're finding out about new mysteries that we hadn't really ever thought about or hadn't really all put the pieces together about right and we have to start to question you know what that's doing in you know how that's interacting with the phenomena that's out there is it co-creating it somehow because then you know then you get into areas uh, like the tulpa and you know that's uh <laughs> that's an intriguing possibility when you're looking at some of these things. I mean, I'm sure you know the Slender Man story. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, the Slender Man essentially by, uh, by all evidence started out simply as, uh, you know, an internet creation. But there are, you know, dozens and dozens of people now who will swear to you that they have encountered this being. So, is that our potential? You know, tapping into something energetically and co-creating uh, these things into our level of existence. It's, it's kind of a disturbing question. Come play with us. Come play with us, Daddy. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Forever and ever. And that's what I like also about the book. Uh, you know, you're not you're not a card carrying uh, paranormal thumper, if you will. You're not you're not out there saying it has to be paranormal. Uh, you acknowledge in the book that it could very well possibly be a creation of the witness. Could that's be correct. something from you know maybe they're particularly down 
bad things are happening, their you know, their life is in turmoil and then all of a sudden they have this experience, maybe it's a projection of, of the mind. It, that's you know, that's very possible and it's something I, I examined quite a bit because uh one of the few threads that I found to connect the victims was that there's a high number of people who encounter these kids who work in positions of authority. So, you know, there's a lot of accounts from uh, police officers, military personnel, government employees, um, doctors. And, you know, those jobs um, very often are, are high stress, a lot of hours. Um, you know, they're, they're in, those are intense careers. And you have to question how that plays into these manifestations. You know, is that some result of the person's psyche? Now, it's kind of a two-edged sword because at the same time, you know, sitting down and talking to a deputy sheriff and hearing his account, it's pretty mind-boggling because this is someone who is a trained observer. Their very existence and, and you know, their very life depends on paying attention to things. So we end up with... Uh, you know, an account that we can put a lot more stock in and, and at the same time, you know, grab some extra details from that, you know, the average, you know, person out there is probably not going to notice. Right. And it goes, you know, it bears mentioning, and I, I've had this conversation on the show about this sort of possibility that ghosts are a projection of the mind. You know, it's, that's not necessarily some kind of like cop-out, just because it, if it turns out that that's the case, that's still pretty amazing and fantastic and bizarre and weird, uh, you know, that the mind can create these little children with black eyes that show up at your house. So, you know, people should, <laughs> if it turns out it's a creation of the mind, people shouldn't be disappointed. They should be, you know, even more intrigued, because what, what the hell else are we creating? Right, and and there is a basis for that in, uh, you know, some traditions. I mean, I referenced the tulpa earlier, right. which is an ancient Tibetan concept. And, you know, in that... Um, in in the tulpa, we are talking about a being that is created from pure mental energy. Now, the ancient Tibetans had a very specific process that would need to be followed in order to create a tulpa, but its evolution would uh, begin in the consciousness of the person creating it and extend out to, you know, this uh, sort of etheric form that was very much like a ghost that eventually, as the process continued, would take on solid form. So, you know, it's it's very possible. I mean, I I personally think that, uh, you know, there are some hauntings that definitely are the result of so many people focusing their energy on a particular being. Um, now, I, I get a little bit of grief for that, but, you know, here's here's a good example. The Myrtle's Plantation in Louisiana one of the most famous haunted spots in the country. And, you know, thousands of people a year go there, um, you know, attempting to capture a ghost on film or, you know, EVPs and so forth. One of the main ghosts they're looking for is of the slave Chloe. Now, ironically, there's no historical foundation for such a person ever existing. It appears to be a complete fabrication. It's an intriguing story, but that's sort of all it is. It's a good story. It's a good, uh, you know, it's good folklore, and it, it makes for great, uh, you know, great material on the ghost tour when you go there. 
But, you know, the fact of the matter is these uh, children, for instance, that were supposedly poisoned by Chloe, uh, historical records show that they died of, um, I believe it was yellow fever. Huh. So, you know, it's, it's very intriguing when we look at the historical facts, and then we counter that with people going there and capturing evidence that appears to point to a, a being named Chloe. There's a very famous photograph that was taken to, to my knowledge, it has not been debunked. It shows a woman who fits the description of Chloe with a turban uh, on her head and, you know, uh, a period attire standing between the, the main plantation house and the secondary building. And it, it's, it's a fascinating photograph, but, you know, why was that captured when there was no historical person named Chloe uh, serving at that plantation? Well, if you've got thousands of people over, you know, how many years going there and focusing energy on the idea of Chloe, what do you get? You get Chloe. You get, you get Chloe. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite, Kate, one of my big inspirations was John Keel. You know, I, I, I love his material, I love his uh, approach, and... You know, I had the, the pleasure of meeting him a number of times. Um, there's a, a John Keel uh, followed up on a case. He was called to a house in Greenwich Village, and uh, the people were having issues. They thought the house was haunted. Now, it turns out this house was owned by um, the creator of The Shadow. Oh, wow. Uh, he wrote under the pen name Maxwell Grant. His real name was Walter Gibson. And at his peak, this man wrote two novels a month. Oh, wow. About the shadow, along with other material that he was writing. So he was incredibly prolific. I mean, as a writer, that's just mind-boggling to me that, that someone could write, you know, two complete, you know, a, a complete novel every two weeks, essentially. So that is an intense amount of creative energy focused into, you know, his creation, the shadow. And the people who were now living in his home reported a ghostly figure that was showing up in their home wearing a large slouched hat and a flowing cape. I mean, it fit the description of the shadow. Their house was haunted by the shadow. That's crazy. <laughs> that is that is strange. Wow. Well, it just goes to show you that this this world's stranger than <laughs> than we could even imagine. Um, now, at the risk of of upsetting the uh, the listener who wrote, I mean the reader who wrote to you, saying they were convinced that these were hybrids, I'm I'm almost convinced, having read the book now, I, I'm willing to to really lower the probability that these things are aliens down to a very low low probability in my mind. <laughs> Because it just doesn't seem to add up uh, that they'd be aliens. Aliens right. don't—they they don't seem to care very much about whether you give them permission or not to do anything. So that's kind of one aspect of it. And you know, they, they don't seem—the agenda of the black-eyed kid seems to be wholly different from what I would expect the agenda from the aliens to be. And I was speaking in very broad terms about a lot of speculative things, but that's. That's been all of America, so what do you expect, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, personally, I don't believe that they're hybrids either. I can tell you that that is probably the most popular 
theory to explain these things. Really? Um, now, a lot of that is because people simply look at the image and say, oh, it, it's got to be an alien hybrid because of the eyes. You know, that's, that's the... Uh, it's a very startling similarity. You know, if you look at the image of these black-eyed kids and you compare it, say, to, you know, the cover of Communion, for instance, which gave us that iconic image of the gray aliens, um, it's it's very interesting and intriguing, but I don't think that it explains these children at all. Now, you know, a lot of the people that argue that are people who claim they have been abducted and used for, you know, some type of breeding program and actually have memories and uh, accounts, whether they were, you know, retreated in dreams or via hypnosis and so forth of seeing their hybrid children. And they often are described in a similar fashion as being, you know, very pale skinned with uh, the large black eyes like the gray aliens are depicted as having. Uh, I, I'm just... Um, I'm not convinced that's what's going on here. I, I really am not. And, uh, you know, I have some slightly different opinions on the whole UFO phenomena anyway. So, hmm. uh. Now, I'm intrigued. What are these, uh, what are these opinions? Well, I, I'm not a big, uh, supporter of the, um, you know, the hard science, uh, mechanical ships coming down from some other planet landing here. Uh, you know, I think that we're looking at, uh, visitation possibly from something, again, that's other-dimensional hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, hard science UFOs landing here. Right, like a straight-up, uh, they're, they're astronauts from another world. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, you know, that being said, I, I do lean towards the idea that the planet probably was visited in our ancient history by extraterrestrials uh, because there's just there's so much intriguing evidence that kind of points to that. But in, in modern times, I'm just not convinced that that's what's going on currently. Uh, you know, there's obviously people, a lot of people on a regular basis having very strange encounters with beings that we simply can't explain away. And I, I think there are far too many of those cases to simply discard it all um, and, and say that it's nonsense. But I think we're a long way from understanding really what's going on. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said with the, how I've discounted the alien part of it, this doesn't seem, let's, you know, let's pull the camera back a little bit, okay? So they're making these hybrid alien human kids, so what, then they're just going to leave them at some neighborhood to try and get into a house, why, you know, to further, like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it really doesn't add up. It, it really doesn't. You know, the one intriguing uh, story uh, that kind of, falls into that category that's in the book was a woman who uh, had one of these black eyed kids show up uh, at the you know the back door of her home um, and you know she swears that it is uh, her child um, her hybrid child as a result of her abductions and it, it kind of falls into the black eyed kid uh, scenario in some ways except that uh, this woman did not have that reaction of fear when she encountered this kid you know, she was uh, sort of overwhelmed emotionally, but it, it wasn't—it wasn't from being terrified. And the only accounts, really, that I've heard of people encountering these kids who were not totally frightened in the situation have been people that believe that they're uh, hybrid children. So, you know, I'm not quite sure how that all fits in. It's intriguing, but it—you know—for me personally, it just—it it doesn't add up to me that that's what's going on here. Hmm. It makes you wonder if, if the, for quote unquote aliens are inter, 
interdimensional and they are creating the hybrids. Maybe they're trying to create some sort of uh, bridge species that can be between the two worlds. Yeah, it's possible. That's, yeah. That's possible. I, you know, it just seems like these kids, when they show up, uh, have some totally separate agenda, uh, as you mentioned, from anything that is, is alien-related. And, you know, one of the, I mean, one of the goals to me appears to be creating this intense level of fear within people because it's inevitable that once the victim reaches that peak of fear, these things disappear. They're just gone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's you. I think you make the point in the book. Yeah. That maybe the, maybe we're being thrown off by the, the need for the invitation. Maybe that's just sort of like a, you know, like the magician trick. You know, that's the red herring of the whole story. And actually just the whole creeping the person out is the real agenda. It could be because, you know, the the invitation, it, it does add the creepy factor in. You know, and it, mm. and it makes people question exactly what's going on. Now, the other thing that people report in these encounters, there are a lot of people who say that they feel like some type of mind control or hypnosis is being attempted as these children are speaking. And... You know, one of the intriguing witnesses I had was a woman who had used hypnotherapy herself to stop smoking. And when she went through the process, initially she had a difficult time uh, going into trance, so to speak. So she had to work with her therapist a little bit. And as a result, she developed a very uh, distinct feeling that meant she was going under, essentially. Hmm. So when she encountered uh, these black-eyed children, she said as they were talking in their monotone voice and, and repeating these phrases over and over again, she said that she started to have that sensation. And, you know, it was a warning sign for her because it immediately was like, a, you know, why, wow, why would I be, you know, going into a hypnotic state? And uh, it caused her to get away from them. But she was convinced that something about these kids, um, that they were attempting to uh, exert hypnosis on her. It's certainly, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, when I was sort of laying out the textbook cases, that seems to be the overwhelming. Uh, there's mental interference. There's definitely some kind of mental interference uh, going on with, during these encounters. Absolutely. And and there's a psychological aspect too, Tim, because you got to understand that, um, you know, people always ask me, do you think these things are really children? And my answer is no, I, I don't. And, you know, the follow-up question is always, well, why why are they appearing as children? Well, what better way to catch an adult off guard? Hmm. And what I see in the people who encounter these things is that they've gone through this psychological battle because, you know, as an adult, most of us are hardwired to help children. You know, if a child approaches you and says, Mr., I need help, you're probably going to do whatever you can. Uh, so, you know, what you see in these encounters is that people really struggle between the uh, innate desire to help this child that is asking for something, you know, whether they're asking to, to come in or asking to use the phone or whatever it is they're asking for, you know, the desire is there to help this kid. But there's some overwhelming feeling that these people experience uh, physically and, and emotionally that causes them to struggle. You know, they're, they're frightened of helping these children. So, you know, more than one person has reported to me that they, you know, they feel their hand on the door and they realize that, 
you know, somehow they've opened the door part way, and they're just thinking, well, you know, they're just they're just kids. I'll, I'll just I, I need to help them, and uh, so there's this real confusion that happens within the victims, and at the same time, counter to that, these same people will tell you that they felt like they were being eyed by a predator. Uh, that's a phrase I've heard more than once regarding people confronting these kids. So this whole battle ensues and, until something causes the person to sort of snap out of it and get away from these kids. That that flight response kicks in, and they're able to slam the door or drive away or, or somehow, you know, back away from these children. Yeah. I find it interesting uh, over the course of the conversation here. I've called them witnesses and experiencers, uh, but you've called them victims. What makes you sort of choose that word? Uh, the reason I choose that word is because after interviewing so many of these people, they're essentially, um, they come off like trauma victims. Okay. You know, they, they have this very unsettled uh, nature about them. A lot of these people end up, you know, seeking some type of therapy. They go through things uh, such as uh, very disrupted sleep patterns, uh, these people often can't return to the location where it's happened. Uh, you know, if, if it's happened at their home, they have a difficult time when people come to the door, even if they use the doorbell. You know, just the idea that someone's at the door is a bit unnerving for a lot of these people. Uh, so it, it really haunts the people who have encountered these things. And, you know, I, I think that... Uh, Victim is a more appropriate term because uh, these people, they're just, uh, you know, it's not like witnessing a, a UFO or sighting a Sasquatch or something like that. Right. They are, are very traumatized by the experience. Okay, yeah, that wasn't a judgment call on my part. I was sort of... Oh, yeah, I didn't you know, think it was. I was just explaining uh, that that aspect of it because we hadn't covered that. Right, exactly, yeah, because uh, it kept striking me, and uh, I wanted to know more about... Clearly, you know more about these things than I do, so... <laughs> You fleshed it out a little bit there, yeah. It's uh, it's one of those weird things. It's like part of me wishes it would happen just to experience it, and the other part of me is like, no, you don't want that to happen at all, dude. Well, listen, Tim, if it happens, let them in and then report back to me. Because, uh... <laughs> I told you, I won't let them in. I'll try to take a picture of one, not like it's worth anything, but... With my luck, I'd, you know, with my luck, I'd, like, hit him with a bat, and it would turn out that it really was someone with a medical condition. Right. <laughs> so then I'd be like the guy in the news who, you know, who slapped the kid on the airplane, you know. Be like, why did you hit that little, that poor handicapped kid with the bat? I mean, it was a black-eyed kid, I thought. <laughs> don't do that because, you know, then the media will jump all over all the paranormal people, so. <laughs> yeah, they don't, yeah. <laughs> They're always looking for, uh... For some reason. Now, you say, you say that these people are kind of haunted by this incident. Uh, and uh, I mentioned earlier, there was the one story about the lady who seemed to be followed by them. But that doesn't seem to be a recurring thing. It's not like abductions, which allegedly, you know, keep happening over and over again, same person. This is like, once the person has the one black-eyed kid encountered, they don't seem to come back for the most part. For the most part, that's true. Now, you know, what does happen on occasion is that... Uh a lot of these people are convinced that the kids are going to come back. And, you know, there are a number of cases where the, the person has had the encounter and even weeks later, you know, they'll have experiences uh, such as, you know, there's one woman who was consistently waking up in the middle of the night 
and uh, she's a person who had had her encounter in, in the middle of the night. So she kept waking up at the same time that the encounter had happened, and in that sort of between state of, of being asleep and waking up, she was convinced that she, you know, heard tapping on her bedroom window or heard knocking at the door. You know, she would wake up very startled, convinced that the, the children had returned. Uh, but for the most part, you know, beyond that sort of lingering trauma, no, these people really, they don't have repeat encounters. You know, the, the one or two people that have had uh, repeat incidents, it, it's been a situation where they've had an encounter with the kids, and then they're convinced that they later see them, you know, uh, that the kids are watching them from across the street and things like that. Hmm. But that, that's pretty rare. Yeah. It's uh, it's odd. This is such an incredibly difficult subject to really study in a way, too. You really can only go on the witnesses' experiences. As far as I can, you know, what what, what other avenues really can you explore unless you, you know, rip their hair out or something to get, to get a yeah, DNA sample it, or something? It, yeah, it is. It, it's a very uh, it's very confounding in that sense because you know there's there's not any evidence to examine. Um, you know, there's not really any photograph. Photographs would sort of be irrelevant anyway. Right. Um, you know, there's there's just really not much to get a hold of within this phenomena. You know, the best we can do is is continue to look at the accounts and you know look for patterns within those, and you know, of course, study it in uh, through the lens of other types of phenomena. Because again, one of the intriguing and puzzling things about this is that they do share traits with so many different uh, types of paranormal manifestation. Yeah. You wonder, you really just le- you have just left flummoxed again by what is at the root of all this. So, and, and, the, and the annoying part too is it's like the, the witnesses or the victims, they, they talk to these things, but they never give any answers that are, Worthwhile, right? We never, we never actually get anyone to get any of these kids to open up <laughs> and, no. and, and reveal more about, you know, <laughs> what, what no. will happen if you let them in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always, you know, just back to the same point. Um, you know, and and there's other, you know, we can look at all the different factors now. You know, people have uh, people always tend to ask, you know, well, do they ever show up? Um, are there any of these kids that are ethnic? You know. A different ethnicity, and and there's not, you know, they're almost uh, always just uh, pale, pasty, white-skinned. Occasionally, we will hear accounts where the person says they have sort of an olive-toned skin, and uh, curious enough, that sort of relates back to the men in black again, because those are the two things we hear in men in black accounts, you know, that they're either uh, white or they look like they're possibly Mediterranean descent. And, uh, you know, those are the only variations we seem to see in these kids. And, you know, as I said earlier, every time you think you've sort of heard it all within this phenomena, that they're all just sort of standard encounters, you'll hear something else that's really bizarre. Right. It fits the, fits the model, but has different aspects and sort of makes us shake our heads. You know, one of, one of the ones that really got me was the guy, uh, government employee in London who came home, you know, he lived in a, a secure flat. He needed a key to get into the, the building. And uh, he goes upstairs, second floor, goes into his flat. And uh, he's inside, and he hears what he described as this weird thumping noise in the hallway. And uh, this happens uh, a second time, 
he's intrigued enough that he goes and opens his door, and here's a pair of these black-eyed kids. And, you know, he's someone who has uh, lived in, in different places around the world, and as he described it to me, they they were doing a poor imitation of a British accent. <laughs> so he, he thought that they were just some kind of street kids or something, you know, something some kind of nonsense going on. He wondered how they got in the building. You know, he's asking them where their parents are. You know, he's looking up and down the hallway. And they're saying things like to him, like, well, we just want to watch the telly. And he's <laughs> thinking, you know, what, what are you kids doing in here? You know, where are your parents? And he's having that uh, reaction where he realizes that he's kind of opened the door a little bit and not even consciously aware of it. He glances into his apartment because he's getting a little bit freaked out, and he's thinking, is there something I can grab to defend myself? Because he's now wondering, you know, exactly what's going on here. Just in those few seconds it takes him to turn his head, glance into his his flat, and look back. There's now three of these kids. They've multiplied. Bizarre. And, you know, that was kind of enough for him. He sort of, (laughs) uh, you know, he's really, really freaked out now, and he slams the door on him, and uh, he's, he's... you know, realizes once he's inside how shaken up he is, and he's kind of walking around. He goes to call his neighbor or something, and he hears this weird thumping noise out in the hallway again. And he sort of gets his nerve up because when he he cracks the door open a little bit and he looks around, he doesn't see these kids. He opens the door, and they're completely gone. Now, you know, he later told me that he's convinced that that noise, that weird noise he heard, was the sound of them coming and going. Hmm. Which, you know, is sort of intriguing. Right, right. That sort of ties into the, we don't necessarily know how these dimensional situations work, but, like, it right. ties into some potential, uh, it's like their door opening and closing. It could be. But, you know, there's way too many of these cases where these kids, uh, they just suddenly are gone. Hmm. And, you know, when you've got someone who is very aware and, and there's just nowhere these kids could have gone, I mean, that's, that's kind of... Uh, that leaves you scratching your head, too. Part of me thinks you invite them in. This is a, a theoretical thing. Part of me thinks that, you know, maybe if you invite them in, they just come in, disappear, and then your life goes to hell. <laughs> like, maybe we'll hear stories from people that that's happened, you know, that they never willing to admit all of a sudden they lost their job, you know, all this terrible stuff happened to them, you know, and they can trace it back to that, but they're not going to tell anybody that ever since they had this incident. It happened. Well, so maybe you know, you know there's another intriguing possibility like that. here that I, I really haven't talked about a whole lot, and mm-hmm. that's that um, the woman I referenced earlier who who contacted me because she was having weird electronic things happen within her house while reading the book uh, has has the months have kind of rolled on, she started having what she thought were memories of encountering uh, black-eyed children. And uh, on her own, she went and had a, a session of regression done hmm. and using hypnosis, uh, retrieved what she believes are memories of encountering these things. So, you know, we sort of get into a field where we have to wonder if some of the people who have encountered these things have repressed the memories or something has caused the memories to be erased from their conscious mind somehow uh, because I, I've had a few people contact me since the book has come out uh, who don't have conscious memory of encountering the children but are convinced that they did. 
and that they just can't completely get a hold of of what happened or you know when it happened. Hmm. Weird. That's well. That's weird, and again, a bit disturbing too. The, the whole thing is disturbing. <laughs> yeah, Dave. <laughs> this is really. <laughs> but like, you know, we got we kind of get into alien territory there again too, because there's a lot of people that you know later believe you know that they recover abduction memories and and so forth. Right, and I think you touched on something that that bears uh, fleshing out in a way. You said people ask you if you think these are really children, and you say no. I'm in agreement there. I think that these are some kind of whatever. I think there's something beyond that there's small children with black eyes. I think there has to be something, there's some kind of projection or shape-shifting or chameleon-like quality to them that there's really something probably behind the black-eyed kids. Right. That's how right. I feel, at least. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's what I believe, and that sort of gets into the, you know, the whole dimensional theory again for me because I I believe that they're coming through and taking that form in order to... um Catch people unawares yeah. because you know what? What better way to, you know, catch an adult off guard than to appear as, you know, a supposedly harmless child? Now, why the black eyes? You know, that could be argued a lot of different ways. There's a lot of people. You know, I mentioned that the alien hybrid theory is the most popular. I, I can tell you that very close behind that, the next most popular theory is that they're that they are some kind of demonic entity. Right, right. That's kind of where I'd been for a while too, but. Uh... And I yeah. still kind of have a little bit of a foot in that camp, but yeah, talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's so many things they share in common with classical, uh, you know, demonology rules, for the lack of a better term. Uh, for instance, you know, a demon can't enter whether it's a home or a person's uh, physical body or anything else without some kind some type of invitation. Um, you know, a lot of People who study demonology will also tell you that a demonic entity can't completely take human form, that something has to be distorted, you know, whether it's a distorted hand or foot or possibly the eyes. You know, these eyes being solid black could indicate some type of, uh, you know, other being that can't completely take human form, and uh, hence the difference. So it's it's intriguing. Um you know, they certainly seem to have a very sinister agenda. Uh, I don't, you know, people are always asking, well, don't you think there's anything positive about these encounters? No, I really don't, uh, because, you know, all indications are that uh, these are very um, uh, traumatic experiences for people. And, you know, at the same time, uh, if if we can stretch and say that there's anything at all positive that, that uh comes as a result, we can look at the fact that a large percentage of the people who have these encounters later turn to some type of spiritual pursuit. Whether that means they go back to the religion they were raised in or they seek out something new, um, you know, it's, it's kind of 50-50, but uh, these people, they often say that they're they're looking for some type of comfort or something that they feel will give them uh, security or protection if these children ever return again. Hmm. Now, you know, that's kind of intriguing, and it's also interesting to me in that if we look at this in in religious terms, I, I have yet to hear of a priest or a rabbi or any type of spiritual figure encountering one of these kids. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, that's kind of interesting, especially when we look at the fact that so many authority figures encounter them. You know, why, why are religious authority figures the exception? Uh, you know, is there something that prevents these children from approaching them or, or something, you know, do they have some type of protection that keeps these kids at bay? We just, we just don't know. Right. And it would be interesting to, to know if anyone during an encounter invoked religion to uh, end it. Has anything like that ever occurred? I always ask that and I've never heard that. Okay. Uh, no, it's intriguing that, you know, as I said, most of these people, a large percentage of these people turn to religion afterwards. And I find that in the people who have these encounters, I haven't really encountered anyone who is uh, who practices a spiritual tradition actively. So, you know, you ask them their religion, and you'll often get a response like, well, I, I was raised Catholic, you know, or, uh, well, you know, my dad's a Buddhist and things like that. But they'll say that they, they don't really practice any type of religious uh system so that's kind of intriguing too you know because apparently these are not people who are strongly spiritual at the time of the encounter Hmm. well you you kind of mentioned that too in the book that maybe these we think of them as inherently evil but maybe at the end of the day they're some kind of wake-up call you know that is fundamentally positive maybe there's a positive reason behind it that you know like put the fear of god into you kind of thing Right, it could it could be having a positive result. You know, it could be a negative experience as having a positive result because, you know, God knows we we need some wake up calls on this planet right now, and uh, oh, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, anything that's going to help people with that process ultimately maybe is a good thing. But you know, I I don't really promote the idea that that that's the goal of these beings. I think it just may be a result of an unfortunate encounter. Hmm. Yeah. Since you've afforded us some extra time here, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you've been looking at the paranormal for 30 years, so, and clearly this topic only came along, like, in the last 15, so what what other stuff has, have you uh, focused on, you know, over the course of this research career? I kind of go in cycles, you know, I when I started out in the paranormal, first of all, when you use that term, you know, in the 70s, people know that you, you know, they knew that you meant the whole spectrum of it, uh, you know, from UFOs to cryptids to haunted sites and psychic phenomena and everything else. You know, it's become very politicized over the years with all the little organizations and groups being created that want to, uh, you know, be exclusive and say, oh, well, we only look at UFOs. You know, if you're if you're talking about Bigfoot, you're nuts. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I that's kind of um, that's kind of a pet peeve with me because I think it's it's very important to look at all of that data. And, you know, we've... Over the years, a lot of things have been lost because these organizations are trying to be exclusive. Now, there's nothing wrong with specializing and saying, well, I really just want to study UFOs. But my gosh, you know, if you're, if you're collecting UFO accounts and someone comes to you and, and they, they give you a valid encounter with a UFO and they say, well, you know, there was also this Sasquatch. Well, you know, MUFON's going to pitch you away right away. Exactly. Say, well, you know, we, you know, we can't take this. You need to go to the BFRO or whatever. And you'll find the same thing over there. You know, if you mention a flying saucer, oh, you must be kooky. Uh, but you know, it's, it's fascinating to look at these areas that are sort of clusters of activity. And that's something that has really intrigued me over the years, these paranormal hotspots where there's a high level of 
just you know the whole spectrum. You know, people are seeing UFOs and cryptids and uh, a wide range of things. So we've got areas like the Uinta Basin in Utah. Uh, it's you know home of the infamous Skinwalker Ranch. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I've done a lot of research up there. There's a, a wide range of strange phenomena in that region, and it's it's not just on the ranch. It's in that whole uh, that whole basin. Uh, there are other areas around the country and, and all over the world, in fact. Uh, one of the areas that really intrigues me in the last few years are the Superstition Mountains in Arizona. I've never heard this of those. Is a, a very bizarre place. You know, it's um, probably best known for being the location of the Lost Dutchman's gold mine. But an incredible number of people go missing in this region. The native tribes in the area have a lot of stories associated with the Superstition Mountains. And, you know, I have, uh, I've always studied shamanic traditions throughout my life and, you know, have found that it, it blends together with, uh, investigating the paranormal very well because tribal cultures take a different view of these things. You know, they don't automatically assume that it's, uh, you know, something rational or explainable. They they accept a lot of this phenomena and they have, you know, valid traditions that say, well, yeah, that's happening and here's why. Uh, so, you know, the Superstition Mountains, uh, there's a whole tradition about, uh, a whole series of stories about this reptilian uh, king who lives beneath the superstitions. And, you know, these uh, reptilian beings have been sort of a hop, hot topic in the last few years and a lot of people reporting sightings and, and claiming to see them and so forth so you know we have to my approach is is to look at a lot of this phenomena particularly these areas that are high concentrations of phenomena and at the same time look at the traditions that surround that area and start correlating that with modern data Interesting. Interesting. You got to check out the uh, Bridgewater Triangle. That's up by my neck of the woods. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know about the Bridgewater Triangle. That's uh, exactly one of those types of areas. You know, just an incredible uh, amount of phenomena has occurred within that region. Yeah, these window zones. There. Uh, that, that's a topic that's intrigued me for a long time too. Uh, trying to get to the bottom of those. Yeah, it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And you know, there's there's a lot of things that indicate that some type of portals are present. You know, within these regions, you go back again to the, the native traditions. They'll talk about there being portals or doorways there, you know, on these pieces of land, and that things uh, come and go through those portals. It'd be interesting to see sort of them put together on a map to see if there's any connection that way somehow. They're pretty widespread. I mean, they're yeah. you know, if you start mapping them, I have mapped them out to an extent, and they're, uh, you know, you can find them all over the world. And, uh, you know, they seem to over the last few years, be becoming more active, which, again, is very intriguing to me uh, when we look at traditions that say we're moving into a, a, you know, a very different time on this planet and, you know, correlate that with the idea that these portals are becoming more active. uh, There's a a lot of questions to be answered. Yeah, there certainly seems to be some something in the works <laughs> something something changing and it it may even be part of me thinks it's it, it's kind of like the global warming thing in a way it's like part of me thinks it's there's probably like a natural thing going on and it's also fueled a lot i think by by man you know i think the internet really has changed the 
and, and technology has sort of changed the brains of, of people in a way. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely believe that. And, you know, again, that goes back to this concept we touched on a little bit earlier, and that's this idea of, of co-creating experiences. You know, when we look at the paranormal, it really has become a part of pop culture now. And, you know, there's so many shows on television. There's so much interest that's out there. And, and that's sort of a two-edged sword, you know, because on the one hand, it makes people more open and more willing to share things that they've experienced. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, what are some of the, you know, there's a portion of these uh, things that are possibly being created by the people who are experiencing them. And uh, it's just, just a very different time. It, you know, it's funny. I, I always say, you know, when I started investigating the paranormal, if I walked into a party and, uh, you know, admitted that that's what I did, you know, everybody would, find other places to go away from me you know <laughs> now if i walk into a party and and say that uh, they're lined up out the door because they've all got an experience to share you know or a story to tell oh yeah absolutely so, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's incredible how much it's changed and uh you know with any type of change you have to adjust to that so you know there's a lot of people that will tell you an elaborate story and it it amounts to you know the wind probably blowing the shutters back and forth on their house uh you know, you, you take the good with the bad. My pet peeve is always to hear the long, elaborate story, and then they finish with, well, what do you think it was? <laughs> right. It's like, how the fuck did I know? <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I, I tried to be very tactful with that, being, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking in public so much and, you know, <laughs> and, and being sort of, a, you know, out there at this point. You know, people are always approaching me with things and, you know, some of them I tell you, Tim, it's, it's really hard to grit your teeth. I, you know, I, I had someone approach me with a stack of photographs at one point and they were all orbs, of course, you know, and, and she proceeded to explain to me that, you know, here's one she took in, you know, uh, Arizona and it's, it's Abraham Lincoln and, <laughs> you know, she, she had another one that's just, you know, all these, it was clearly raining outside and it's all these orbs and, you know, she was convinced that the faces of all the founding fathers were in that photograph and, uh, you know, <laughs> It's it's really you know you just have to sort of uh, direct people as best you can to say okay well you know, this is interesting uh, you know maybe you should look at this a different way and try some more experiments and you know I don't like to discourage anyone who's interested in the paranormal but uh, my gosh at least take your time and you know do some research and do some valid study and you know, it's, it's sort of my pet peeve now with a lot of these. Uh, people that have flung themselves into the, quote, ghost hunting field. And, uh, you know, the the foundation of their knowledge is that they've seen every episode of Ghost Adventures or something. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, Hans Holzer or, you know, Jacques Vallée or, you know, any of these people to them. And they're like, well, who's that? <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's uh, uh yeah, it's too bad. This uh, you, you touched on it too. The, 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with specialization, but you should know about what's going on. You know, if you talk to a baseball reporter, they can at least tell you who won the Super Bowl. But if you talk to uh, you know some of these ghost hunting people, they don't even know who Stan Friedman is. Right. It's like right. that's, that's it, no way to be. Yeah, it's it's a, a shocking level of ignorance. You know, um, at least educate your. I mean, come on, the term paranormal. You know, it, it the definition is what's beyond the norm. Uh, you know, so <laughs> all of these things technically fall within that. And, uh, you know, I, you don't have to, 
you know, voraciously pursue all of them, but my gosh, at least have a a little bit of foundation knowledge. Um, And too, you know, so you can direct people. I mean, if if you want to be a ghost hunter, that's fine, but if you have someone come to you with a UFO report, know where to direct them and, you know, know how to get them some, uh, you know, don't shut them down. Yeah. Now, I see here you've done some work with crystal skulls. Tell me a little bit about that. I have. I uh, became very intrigued by the crystal skulls back in the 70s. And, um, you know, on one of my trips to uh, South America, I actually, I was down there pursuing, um, trying to find some, some teachers and get some, you know, shamanic instruction from some of the traditions down there. And uh, also, of course, looking for other, you know, unusual stories and so forth, and uh, ended up in this small town and uh, didn't speak a whole lot of Spanish, but constantly had these people, you know, coming to me, and, you know, of course, they guaranteed to show me, you know, such and such a secret for, you know, a certain amount of money, and, <laughs> you know, it was getting pretty frustrated, and, and finally had this friend of mine approach me and uh, say, you know, there's this gentleman I think you should meet, you know, and he's an elder, and... Uh, I ended up meeting this fellow and uh, sat by this fire and talked with him late into the night uh, with a translator who's uh, an elder. And he, uh, you know, just had this whole rich uh, tradition that he had been taught from his family, different types of healing and uh, ways of using energy and so forth. And, you know, he started referencing this this uh, source that he had that uh, that sort of spoke to him and gave him a lot of information and you know, this is late into the night I'm getting very intrigued by this and he finally asked me he says you know do you want to see this and uh I'm like yeah absolutely he's got this old burlap bag you know and he he reaches into this burlap bag and out comes this huge crystal skull and I, I you know my jaw dropped and I was like oh my god you know what? Yeah. <laughs> you're kidding and and you know he he gives me this thing and um you know I I sat there with it and it was just amazing it was an amazing experience and you know i thought wow this is this is just incredible and i you know people always ask me if it was an ancient crystal skull or not i tell you the truth i don't know you know it had been passed down uh through his family for as long as he could remember uh so you know i I don't really know when it was created and you know quite frankly that uh wasn't as relevant at the time because it was a rich part of their tradition and the way they were able to utilize it uh, was was very fascinating. And, um, you know, since then, you know, over the years, I was able to see a lot of the, the well-known skulls, you know, the Mitchell Hedges and uh, Shana Ra and the Nosarino skull and so forth. And um, it, it's very intriguing. I am a believer that some of these things are ancient and, and just unexplainable. There's a lot of controversy about some of the skulls, you know, like the Mitchell Hedges skull and so forth. Uh, but, you know, it, it's um, there's no denying that people have had some pretty incredible experiences with some of these skulls. And there's a big question as to how they were created and, and you know, how and where and possibly why. But, you know, to me, I, I think that the link is that they hold information. You know, some people scoff at that idea, but if you stop and think again and you look at technology, you know, our technology basically runs on crystals. You know, a tiny little crystal 
can hold a, an incredible amount of information, and that's because, you know, we know how to utilize a, a little tiny crystal. Well, what if we knew how to utilize something the size of a skull? Uh, imagine the vast amount of information that could be held there. It, it's uh, it's an incredible thought. Interesting. Well, there are the this, those types of psychics that can touch things and get the the whole background on things like that. It would be interesting to get a crystal skull into the hands of one of those people and see if they could access the information. Yeah, and, uh, and there have been some um, people, that's uh, psychometry. You know, yeah, exactly. There have been some people that have used that on some of the skulls. I, oh. I know someone who attempted that with uh, Max, who is one of the well-known crystal skulls that actually tours, you know, uh, the person who has Max, um, a woman named Joanne Parts, takes him around the country and lets people, you know, uh, view it and, you know, sit and touch it and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that a couple of people who are adept at psychometry have, you know, tried that with Max and get an, an incredible amount of information and visions uh, from the experience. Huh. Beyond that, you say people have interesting experiences with these things. What do you, what, what exactly are these experiences? Well, you know, there are people who have uh, reported that they've been healed from wow. touching some of these skulls, that they've gotten. Uh, and, of course, you hear things that are uh, border more into the whole um, idea of psychic phenomena. You know, people will report that they've viewed their past lives or received information and so forth. Uh, what's intriguing to me is the people that have touched uh, some of these skulls and had some kind of profound change in their life as a result, uh, whether it's, you know, receiving some type of personal information uh, that, you know, cha- you know, help them change their direction or cause things to come into their lives. Or, uh, as I said, people that have experienced some type of uh, healing on some level, whether it was physical or emotional, from touching these skulls. Now, you know, that could be, we, we really don't understand why that's occurring. You know, is it something inherent within the skull? Or is it, you know, the power of our own minds holding that belief when we have this experience, uh, that could be debated all day. And, and the truth is, you know, maybe that's not that important because people are having these experiences. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, well, we've never done a show on crystal skulls before, so this is uh, interesting. I've never really even looked into it too much. Yeah, it's an incredible topic. It absolutely is. And, and you start to look at the history of some of the individual skulls, and it's, you know, it's very compelling. They get kind of a bad rap because they've been tied to that Indiana Jones movie. They, they kind of <laughs> yeah. had a little, uh, had a little peak of 15 minutes of fame, if you will, uh, <laughs> that right. ended up turning on them. Yeah, and of course, you know, the skeptics are all jumping up and down and say, you know, no, they're modern creations, blah, 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 and, uh, you know, the truth is now, with modern technology, we can, of course, create these things fairly easily. I mean, you can, you know, you can buy modern crystal skulls that, uh, you know, are, are very stunning um, and look authentic. But when you're talking about skulls that surfaced, you know, uh, in, in the 40s or whatever, then that's a bit more intriguing to look at and, and ponder, you know, how were these things created? And... You know, certainly meeting someone who's who's carried one uh, within the family for generations. Uh, it's, there are a lot of questions there. Now, I see you also have a book coming out uh, down the line called Strange Intruders. What's what's this all about? That one will be out in a, probably a couple of months. It is um, 
<clears throat> it's looking at uh, several different types of beings that seem to be making their presence a bit more known. So it has a chapter on the djinn, uh, which has been, you know, a very popular topic in the last few years. Uh, it will cover the Slender Man, which we touched on briefly uh, earlier today. Uh, it will cover, uh, it will have a chapter on black-eyed beings, just with some of the updated accounts that have come to me since the Black Eyed Children book was uh, published. Um, up in your neck of the woods, there'll be a chapter on puck wedges. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, and, and a few other things. That uh, There's a chapter in there on the Grinning Man. I'm just uh, covering some of these beans that haven't gotten quite as much attention that uh, are very intriguing and, and that have, uh, you know, seemed to become more of a force in modern times. Well, tell me about the Grinning Man, because I've never heard uh, of, this, of this character before. Well, the Grinning Man was chronicled by John Keel initially, okay. um, and he was uh, initially encountered by two boys during a, a UFO flap, and he uh, he was a very tall figure in a shiny suit with a large belt who had this incredibly large uh, grin on his face, like, you know, unnaturally large. It's funny because it makes you think of, like, the Joker from Batman or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this character has shown up in different forms over the years. Other people have seen him in uh, in different attire. And a lot of indications are that he's some type of uh, precursor to strange events that are about to happen or possibly an omen of uh, things to come, and there's not really much of a, an explanation for what he is. He's shown up all over the place, and it's just, you know, it's it's a real enigma. Weird. Now, you probably the book's probably already finished, but I was going to suggest you check out uh, Phantom Clowns. That's something. Oh, I know about Phantom about. Clowns, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about I have a bit of material on them, but uh, I'm, I'm wrapping the book up now, and I, uh, you know, Kind of playing with a couple of other chapters that may go in it before it goes to press, so we'll we'll see. <laughs> now you you uh, you reminded me here. You said black eyed beings. Uh, you do mention in the book is it's not just uh, it's not just children. There's also a few instances of uh, of black eyed adults, if you will, right? There are some, and uh, you know a lot of those. You look at the cases and they just seem to border more into, you know, possibly being a hoax or, or something else was going on. But there are some intriguing accounts uh, that have shown up of adults with solid black eyes that seem to fall into that um, category, these black eyed kids. Now, they don't tend to approach people in the same way with request uh, to come inside. But they, they do approach people with strange questions, and they also seem to be a bit more aggressive, uh, which is, you know, a little bit um, disturbing, I, I think. And there have been some very odd encounters with uh, with some of these black-eyed adults. There also have been a lot of cases that have come to me, and this will be covered in the book some too, uh, of people witnessing someone's eyes change color while they're looking at them from, you know, whether it's blue or brown or whatever, to to solid black very suddenly. Hmm. And just as suddenly that solid black color going away. Weird. Does the person change? Very weird. 
Just does like the person know that it's happening to them, or is it how, how does that sort of unfold? Well, what tends to happen is that uh, the the person whose eyes changed, they almost react as if, uh oh, I slipped up. Huh. So you know what ensues is is very odd. Uh, afterwards, you know they'll they'll try to convince the people that well nothing happened. You know just. Uh, Sit right here. Let's talk about it, or you know, things like that. And it, it's it's very weird. It's very weird. And they don't they don't know these people necessarily. These aren't like your neighbor or whatever, right? Well, no. Now some of these cases uh. are uh, situations where you know the the person has known this individual for some time. Oh, weird. Uh, you know, on a casual basis, and all of a sudden something strange has happened uh, in this encounter where the eyes go solid black. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very disturbing to the person who witnesses it. Um, and, you know, as I said, the aftermath turns out to be very odd. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's going on there. You know, a lot of these people say this, a lot of people who encounter this type of thing say this person must have been some type of shapeshifter or they were something evil or, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is very disturbing. Now, this is a fairly new account, uh, new type of phenomena, it seems to me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's intriguing, at the least. Uh, a lot of people think that these are beings that have been here in our society for a long time and something just suddenly made them slip up and maybe reveal who or maybe what they really are. Weird. See, because as I discount the black-eyed kids being hybrids, I feel like that sounds like a whole different thing. Maybe those are hybrids. Yeah, it does feel like a whole different thing to me. And, you know, I mean, we could we could examine that in a lot of different ways. Uh, there just aren't enough cases yet. At, well, you know, I've received probably a, a few dozen of these cases so far. Oh, weird. And uh, this is just a result of, of the book coming out. And, you know, it, it's people will write me and say, hey, this is this is not a black guy kid, but this is what happened to me, and it'll be one of these stories. And uh, far too many to ignore at this point. So weird and new that it doesn't even have a name yet. Exactly. Exactly. Like eye shifters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> weird. Well, I want to know more about that, so uh, keep me posted. Uh, beyond Strange Intruders, what else do you have work? What else are you working on? It sounds like now you've kind of... I, I I warn you now. I don't want you to get typecast as the black-eyed kid guy, but I'm afraid you you may end up <laughs> being being haunted by the black-eyed kid forever. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, I've got a few other books uh, that are in the works. I have actually one on tulpas hmm. that um, I had started, and it's just such a huge project that it's probably going to be late this year before that one uh, makes it out. There's a couple of video projects in the works. Uh, I was I just appeared in Watchers number five, which is a DVD series put out by L.A. Marzulli, and uh, that was an interview about the black-eyed children. But they also did a recreation of one of the encounters within that. So it, it's the uh, Texas encounter, the guy on the Texas back road who encountered one, and uh, they did a great job. It came out. It's, it's very creepy. <laughs> so. Um, that's already out. Uh, as I said, I've got a book on Tulpas coming out and a couple of other books that are in the work. I, I tend to often multitask and, and write multiple things at the same time until I get, you know, close on something and then 
sort of lock it down and finish it. So uh, the plan are. is for there to be several books out this year. And I write a lot of articles. My, I try to keep my blog fairly active. Uh, I write for Intrepid Magazine um, and uh, a couple of other things that come out, Internet-based publications. So uh, I stay pretty busy. Nice, nice. And, of course, uh, folks can find out all about uh, your stuff at twocrowsparanormal.blogspot. And if they want to pick up the book, they got to go to leprechaunpress.com to get it, That's right? Correct. That's correct. It is not on Amazon. It's only at uh, Leprechaun Press. Nice, nice. Yeah. Who wants Amazon? They, you know, they get their <laughs> yeah, hand in your pocket the whole time, so. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, do you have a, this is kind of like, do you have a favorite kit or anything, but do you have a favorite story that you think is like, you know, your your favorite or the most creepy or the the funniest or you know to to sort of send people off on the final note. Uh, do you have one that stands out that we haven't talked about yet? You know the the two that really have always stood out for me was the uh, the account that I gave you earlier about the um, gentleman with the pit bull, mm-hmm. and the other one is actually the one they recreated in Watchers. Uh, now people ask me you know often what what I think the creepiest story is. For me, it's this account encounter in Texas, and the reason is is that uh, I I spend a lot of time in the field in, investigating and uh, you know different cases and traveling, and I love to drive. So you know, it, it's nothing for me to to drive you know several states away. I've driven coast to coast. So when I sat down with this guy to get his account, you know, I, I'm thinking, my God, this is me, you know, because <laughs> this guy. This guy, he, now, now this guy's in the military, however, but he loves to drive. And, you know, he's telling me his story and saying, you know, I just love to drive. I love to drive late at night. And I'm thinking, yeah, so do I. <laughs> uh, you know, his, his story was that he was on leave. He was visiting family in Texas. He has uh, other family members in West Texas. And he, he's out in uh, eastern half of Texas. And as we know, it's a very big state. So he decides to go visit these other family members in West Texas, and then he's going to drive overnight. So, you know, he gets his truck ready, and he loads up on, you know, a thermos of coffee, and he takes off, and he's driving these Texas back roads. He's not on the main interstate. He's driving these Texas back roads in the middle of the night. He uh, He's in the middle of nowhere. He pulls off to relieve himself because he's had so much coffee. Uh, parks his truck on the side of the road, takes a few paces off the road, you know, and takes care of his business. He's kind of standing there looking up at the stars for a moment. Comes back to his truck, walks around the front, reaches for the door, and all of a sudden he realizes there's this kid standing there by his truck. And, you know, he, he's, <laughs> he, you know, he reacts like anybody would. He says, gee, you know, geez, kid, you scared the hell out of me. And, you know, what are, what are you doing out here? And this kid, very cold, says, I, I want to go for a ride. <laughs> and, uh, oh, God. You know, this guy is, he, he, like any of us would do, you know, he's looking around, he doesn't see a car anywhere, uh, he's looking off in the distance, there's not even any lights from houses. This kid is insisting that, uh, he, he, you know, let me, you know, have me get in your truck, we'll go for a short ride. And this guy's really freaking out, you know, he, uh, he, Tries to climb into the cab without turning his back on this kid, which is very difficult. He, you know, gets in and, you know, this kid is staring in the window at him. He just floors it, you know, he takes off down the road and, uh, he gets a couple of miles away and he, he suddenly puts the brace on. He's thinking, geez, you know, what am I doing? I, you know, I shouldn't be reacting like this. Maybe this kid needs help, you know. Does a U-turn in the middle of the road, goes back to the spot, 
this kid's nowhere to be seen anywhere. You know, he's he's got a flashlight out. He's looking all around. Now he's really creeped out and uh, turns back around, drives to his destination without stopping. And, uh, you know, gets to his relative's house and he said he just sat down and just started watching nonsense on television. You know, he just needed to, to disconnect from that and be, you know, as far away from it as he could. And, uh, this guy was so shaken up by this encounter. He, when he left, went back the same route. He did so during the daytime, uh, so that he could find the spot again and, and search the area to see if there were any houses anywhere nearby. And, uh, you know, the closest house he found was, was, you know, quite a distance. So he's very disturbed by an encounter. It was, uh, it, it, it unnerved him to the point that he says he won't drive at night anymore. So, you know, that one to me was kind of disturbing because like I said, I, I'm that guy. I love to drive late at night. And, uh, you know, I tell you, I, <laughs> it, it, it crosses my mind when I'm driving late at night now on some back road. <laughs> yeah, it's like these things, they catch, they, they, like, I think you made the point earlier. It seems to always, they they wait for the right opportunity and they catch these people unaware. Absolutely. Um, right when you yeah. least expect it. <laughs> yeah. This little black eyed kid shows up and uh changes your whole world. That's right. Oh my god. Well we have we've gone uh way over the two hours and, and I'm stunned by how fast this conversation has gone by. Uh I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We definitely want to keep talking to you or you know, in the weeks and months and years to come, uh, as this story unfolds. I think I hope that we'll learn more about these things. I really do because they're so intriguing. But I'm, 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 I'm flummoxed, as I said earlier. This is a mind-boggling topic um, and mind-bending in a lot of ways. And I think we'll leave not just me, but the, the listeners sort of uh, pondering this for quite some time <laughs> afterwards. I'm sure you've you've sort of uh, ruminated on this for quite some time. Yeah, that's true. Although you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, it has. As you've heard, I've kind of moved on to researching other things, but you know, this is something that's always going to be intriguing just because of its, uh, its complexity and, you know, the number of questions. It seems to be one of those things that, uh, the more information there is, the more questions there are. So it, it's, it's quite an enigma. Yeah, but it's great. I'll be it honest. Is. It's awesome. <laughs> it's very fascinating. Yeah, I really, uh, I really do find the topic to be tremendous. So uh, I'm, I'm psyched that we had such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Coming soon, Strange Intruders. Uh, you said, what, a couple months, maybe two, three months? Yep. Hopefully just in time for the summer so folks can have some some uh, creepy campfire reading, right? Yeah, I'll keep you posted. Absolutely. Anything else you want, want to plug that is coming up, uh, any appearances or anything like that that you uh, think should be mentioned? Uh, I've got a lot of stuff that's not locked down yet, but I will be at the Paradigm Symposium in Minneapolis. That is just an incredible event. This will be the second year. Uh, it was a pleasure to be there last year. I'll be back again this year along with a host of uh, uh, just amazing speakers, uh, Giorgio Sukulis, uh, L.A. Marzulli, um, uh, just a whole wide range. You can find that. Uh, just Google Paradigm Symposium or go to intrepidmag.com. There's a link for it there. Uh, I'll also be, I'll be in Texas for a paranormal convention in October, uh, and a whole wide range of other things. Best way to keep up with me is to check my blog, which, uh, you mentioned is twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. There is a badge on there for Facebook. People are welcome to friend me. I've got a Twitter feed and all that jazz. Nice. And, uh, the book can be found at leprechaunpress.com. Sounds good. Well, David, I can't thank you enough. As I said, uh, 
the time has flown by here, and it's been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. And uh, I really, uh, like I said, can't thank you enough. It's been great. So thanks for coming on the show, and hopefully we'll be hearing from you again in the future. It's been a pleasure, Tim. Thanks. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to David Weatherly for coming on the show and giving us so much time. You can find out more from him at Two Crows Paranormal dot blogspot dot com. Pretty simple, all one word. Two T W O Crows Paranormal dot blogspot dot com. And if you want to pick up a copy of The Black Eyed Children, head on over to LeprechaunPress dot com and order it there. Trust me, folks, you definitely want to check this book out. It is tremendous. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, but we are kind of over the limits of how long I would like to wait between episodes, so we're going to skip listener feedback here this week. I have a big list of emails to read, which I will tackle in future editions of the program, but I want to get this episode out to folks as soon as possible. So we're going to skip listener feedback here this week on the program. That said, let me give you the means to contact me if you'd like to be a part of future installments of listener feedback or if you just want to share your thoughts on the program. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, of America. Dot com and click the contact button. And if you want something a little more interactive, you can join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. You can also find that by clicking the forum button at Banal of America. We like to call it BOA's Paranormal Playground. It is theusofe.com, where you can find conversations on not just the world of the esoteric, but also pop culture and sports as well. Additionally, I am also on Facebook and Twitter, so just punch in Binal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, and that will bring up my profiles on those social network sites. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. And finally, let's plug the official BOA Facebook page, which you can find by punching in simply Banal of America on Facebook. As of right this moment, we have 951 likes. So we are a mere 49 away from the illustrious and elusive 1,000 likes. Head on over there to find updates on what's going on at Banal of America, future episode information and links to stuff that relates to the program, and media appearances by yours truly. Banal of America on Facebook. Check it out. Up next, please allow me to take a moment to thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our webmaster, Ray Weigel, and our graphics guru, Jeremy Boston. Behind the scenes at Banal of America, Ray Weigel is hard at work on BOA 3.0, 
I have gotten a glimpse of the early stages of this new website, and it is really something to behold, and I cannot wait to unleash it on the BOA listeners and the Banal of America visitors. That said, we are definitely quite a ways away from the grand unveiling, so as of right now, all I can say is stay tuned, my friends. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA listeners and ask you to make a donation to the Banal of America franchise. How do you do that? That's simple. There are two ways to do so. You can head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, there is also a way to do that. You can simply write to Tim Banal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866, and you can find the complete address at Banal of America right under the PayPal button. As always, I should note that no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of BOA Audio, we are going to try something a little bit ambitious for you, my friends, because next week we are scheduled to roll out our annual BOA Audio Baseball Special, where we talk about baseball with some previous BOA guests. It is the much maligned annual tradition here on the program, And since that is the case, and since the vast majority of BOA audio listeners do not tune in to the baseball special, I don't want to leave those folks out in the cold. So we're hoping to roll out two episodes for you next week. Not only the BOA audio baseball special, but also a pure esoteric edition of the program featuring author Thomas Fusco talking about his groundbreaking theories, as detailed in his book, Lifting the Cosmic Veil. Thomas believes he has unlocked the secret of much of the world of paranormalia, and he is going to detail that on the program. It is a fascinating conversation. It is really a remarkable theory, and one which will have you riveted, I am sure, I cannot give you much more of a detailed preview than that because I have not sat down to edit the entire interview, but I do recall that it was quite the compelling conversation. So, hopefully, next week, you'll be listening to not only the BOA Audio Baseball Special for 2013, but also Thomas Fusco talking about lifting the cosmic veil next time on BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks once again to David Weatherly for coming on the show. Be sure to check out the book, The Black-Eyed Children. And, of course, enormous thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA audio listeners, the folks who tune in to the very end of the show, and spread the word about this creepy little esoteric podcast. Your enduring support is humbling and appreciated, my friends. 
thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.